Alright, you ready? Uh, do the thing. Alright, ready? Three, two, one. Oh, yeah, boy. Welcome back to Strange Range. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Uh, we got a guest in, in the in the chair tonight. Uh, another strange friend actually sitting down for this one. Who the fuck are you, bud? <laughs> well, uh, I'm just a dude from this community. Um, dude from the community. Yeah. yeah. A guy who gets to uh, gets to hug me all the time and choke me out. <laughs> yeah. yeah well. Multiple times a week, he gets to put me in uncomfortable <laughs> positions. Yeah. A training partner of mine as well as a, a co-worker. So we've definitely, ta- since since we started this, when we were all working together and Jordan was working with us and everything, like we've definitely talked about that uh, facility. Mm-hmm. Um, so worked with us or works with brett i don't yeah. work there anymore i i'm out yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay and you and uh you and brett uh been training together oh yeah doing yeah that we whole do thing. jujitsu oh, and yeah uh, a little bit MMA. of kickboxing yeah the mma now um yeah he's actually the one that got me in there um so like i've said before I, i've done a few things off and on never long enough well i did judo for a couple of years but when i was a lot younger but uh nothing long enough to to really brag about mm-hmm. it wasn't until i would been looking for so long and as he knows, the anxiety of walking in there the first day is oh, yeah. nerve-wracking. Absolutely. You know you're walking into a room full of killers who are close, very close, and you feel like an outsider. And it was just happened to be I walked past him talking to someone else about doing jiu-jitsu. And I full-on stopped in my tracks and was like, where, where do you train? Yeah. And like, I just had a moment in my head. I'm like, you want this? Go. And I was like, where? And he told me. And he actually was cool enough. to. It was a day he wasn't going to train. Met me there, introduced me to everybody, signed my waiver, and hopped on the mat. Fuck yeah. Yep, been there yep. ever since. Ever since. Were you, have, had you been doing jujitsu before? Uh, that was my first time joining that gym. Uh, you you know, were two months in when I showed I up? I was like two months in, something like that. Yeah. Uh, by nature, I'm like super relaxed, super nonviolent, you know, but I felt like I needed to, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, uh, sharpen that part of my life, you know. Uh, mm. You can't, uh, you know, you don't want to be too nice and uh, uh, things like that, so I just... You, yeah. you you come across as easy as an easy mark uh-huh. kind of thing. It, it's a weird thing that we don't talk about as much is is the life of being men. Mm-hmm. And people like, you know, women talk all the time about being assaulted by men. And it's like being a man, we are the most likely to die from men. We are the most likely to have oh, someone, yeah. you know, eyeball us from across the bar and you don't know why. And then mm-hmm. you go outside to watch your car and dude has yeah. a problem with you. Yeah. Um, the ability, just, just the fact that you know that you can defend yourself to an extent yeah. is a stress reliever. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Just having that in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking about old Teddy Roosevelt earlier. Uh-huh. You know, his, his quote, yeah, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. That's kind of, you just want to have that in your back pocket. Yeah. You, did you mm-hmm. do any martial arts before this? Uh, no. I mean, I, I've always been into martial arts mm-hmm. as an interest. You know, I. I've, I know you're a UFC dork. Oh <laughs> yeah, old, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Me too. And when I was younger, you know, I, I loved Bruce Lee. I, I read. Uh, his book uh, Jeet Kune Do, and oh, nice. I, I've always really been into all that stuff. And actually, what what really pushed me to to start training was um, actually going through the experience I went through uh, with this, uh, you know, uh, Potter's Field and Mudman and all mm-hmm. that. I um I realized, like, you know, I I need to I need to toughen up a bit. You know, I need to I need to uh, be a man. You know, and mm-hmm. and part of that is yeah, being being able to defend yourself, being able to defend others around you. Uh, one of the uh, major issues with that, uh, our experiences, it was very uh, emasculating, Yeah, if you know what I mean. And uh, uh, we can go into some of those details later on. But anyway, that was a big part of my reason, uh, you know, that I wanted to start training was, you know, I, I got to uh, man up, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and 
That's interesting. Did, did you, did you ever, cause we've, we've talked about this before, but like, did you get in fights when you were a kid at all? You know what? No, man. I, yeah, I've really? always been like a peacekeeper. Yeah. You know, I've always you were been that friend. I was always that guy, man. I, I, uh, I always tried to reconcile my friends and I was always the guy that friends would come to when they were going through stuff. And, um, you know, I always hated, yeah, I always hated violence to be honest and mm-hmm. any type of conflict, even mm-hmm. still, yeah, I hate conflict. Like it, it makes me super anxious and, and all that. But, uh, I realized, uh, Maybe I was too much that way, and it was something I needed to overcome. Yeah, there's definitely got to be like a middle ground there. Exactly. For sure, I, mine is kind of, mine's kind of like that. Um, my dad's very, very. He's met my dad. My dad is very confident, like overboard, <laughs> uh, and very arrogant. Man's man, got a lot of, strut. Oh man, <laughs> he do. Yeah, yeah. He got a chance to meet my dad once, and he's just like, so he, he was. He, uh, he drove an engine up here okay. from Oregon when I blew my engine because I was literally like I had just got I was going through a divorce. I went from having two vehicles to one project rig and I had to push it on the road after being underneath it for eight months, not driving it. Mm. And uh, within two months, I blew an engine Mm. and I had no money. I'm going through this big thing and my dad threw an engine in the back of his truck and drove it up here. And so Chase just came over, going to do an episode. My dad's sitting there drinking a beer, just standing, kind of doing that. And he's like, so you guys do this podcast thing, huh? And we like talked about it. He's like, hell yeah, I could probably do that. Just throw me on there one of these times. And yeah, I could definitely do that. We could do that podcast (laughs) thing. it was like no one, no one invited him. He just invites himself for sure. But that bled Man, over. Probably in would be a good interview, per- though. Oh, dude, I, that's on the books. I want to do that, yeah, dude. He's absolutely very charismatic. I gotta hear that one. Definitely, uh, like the lady killer redneck kind of guy likes to fight. Um, and well, that influence bled onto me growing up. And then what happened was, is my first few fights were my mouth getting me. Like I just talked like my dad did. Yeah. And there's some people that don't think that shit's funny. And being fifth grade, fourth grade, all I mean, it, around that age was the first time. Like I remember, like talking, and then someone getting mad and being like, "Oh, I thought everybody's joking." Like, mm. and then uh, someone challenged me to a fight once. My first big fight uh, I've talked about it here before. It was uh, my buddy's cousin Kevin. Like, wanted just wanted to scrap with me, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, no problem." And he beat the shit out of me, yeah. bruised the entire side of my face, and then uh, from there. I ended up, I had another kid. I had moved to a new school where my friend was at already. I, we'd known each other our whole lives. And he had been there for a little bit and made friends. We had made some tough friends. And he was on the phone with one of them and they were talking. And this was like sixth grade. And I remember they were talking about something. I was like, that's stupid. And he's like, oh yeah, you think so? And it put me on speakerphone. Mm-hmm. And so we were just talking about the subject, come to find out. That was a very damaged kid, very tough, very quiet. And he wanted to kick the shit out of me. And I just got in a couple fights and I, I would hold my own, but I was not winning, winning by mm-hmm. a lot or anything like that. And mm-hmm. it just got to the point where I backed off on my talking. Then yeah. I became a quieter person all the way into high school and stuff yeah. like that. And then people start coming at you anyway, yep. because it's the guy to pick on mm-hmm. the guy they think won't stand up for themselves. And oh, so yeah up until joining the military it was this weird transition of that and i I completely understand like when it comes to not being aggressive enough Mm -hmm. um and martial arts bleeds into every aspect of your life no matter what it's not just that hour or two you spend in the gym that mindset transitions to everything the way i parent now yeah everything yeah it's interesting i've got almost uh, the opposite experience i did i did taekwondo for a while when i was younger Mm. um but the way i got into it was almost exactly opposite of you guys <laughs> i fought my ass off all the way yeah. through elementary school middle school not really in, it never i i can't think of a time that i ever started a fight but it was always mm-hmm. like someone thought they were gonna bully me and then mm-hmm. i'm like nah <laughs> you know yeah. I, I just always had this yeah I don't big know. guy big feelings like, well i was small though i was really? small yeah i was i didn't huh. get big until after high school hmm. like literally after after high school i grew a bunch bad t- <laughs> that's bad timing yeah it was real bad timing but <laughs> 
what was nice is that like I had enough situations and it wasn't really nice. Probably would have been better to not go through it, but I had enough situations where I had to fight mm-hmm. early yeah. to by, by the time I got to high school, I had enough of a reputation. That I didn't <laughs> often lose them. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. I didn't get in fights in high school. Like, yeah. Really? Not, Unless I was over here, like unless I, I came over here and people didn't gotcha. know me and shit happened, mm-hmm. or I was yeah. sticking up. It was usually like sticking up for my brother or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I got into Taekwondo just before high school, probably ninth and tenth grade, and and that was more of a like give me an outlet to get this aggression out somewhere else, yeah. and nice. like you know not because uh, I did like. And I was probably probably a generally angry kid anyway, <laughs> like just, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so when people would pick on me and I'd get a little bit more <laughs> aggressive about it than I probably needed to be, but yeah. I just didn't let it happen anymore, mm-hmm. you know? So that was like a nice way for me to, I've got a controlled area. Everyone else here is trying to do what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. That was nice. You know, I want to get, I do want to start that again. Cause I was, but I'm definitely for river. I think once river's ready oh, to yeah. Rock and roll, yeah. get him in there. I see a lot of, uh, a lot of myself as a younger age, uh, when it comes to energy that river has, cause that's, that's how I got into judo. Um, I was bouncing off the walls. Um, and then I think I was in first or second grade. I got brought into an office and, uh, cause I, I was the first, uh, first kid ever in, uh, in first grade in my uh, first kid ever in my elementary school to get detention nice. and they had nowhere to put me. I had to, ha- Score. by the way, this, this is what it was like growing up in the nineties. They had nowhere to put me. So they maybe hang out with the lonely janitor by myself Ooh. in like first grade for an hour after school. Hey Jim, you got this dude for real. <laughs> And then they brought me in this room. It was a doctor there, and they started giving me tests. I took an IQ test and stuff like that. And I've come to find out, uh, my mom had a friend whose kid was ADHD, and that was when Ridland first came out. Yeah. And she had stuffed it in a brownie and gave it to me, and was like, "Oh, that's easier to deal mm. with." So she talked to the school back when you could drug your kids. Well, just meth them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, just meth them up. It'll but be fine. Um, opposite <laughs> for me, put me down like a tranquilizer. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and so they started doing that, and then uh, my dad was just like 100% against that. Yeah, because he's an avid outdoorsman and stuff, yeah. and plus he did uh, taekwondo. There's, a, I've seen pictures of him with uh, like long, like long, like feathered hair, trucker hat, like rednecked out, and jumping up in the air, throwing kicks in his in a living room, and his buddy blocking him on the ground, like at, mm. on a knee. Looks like and, Rex Kwando. Yep, he uh, <laughs> 100%. He moved up here when he was 18 with his new wife who was pregnant. That was the only way not up here in, in Klamath from Michigan because he ran away from home after his mom broke his jaw when he was 17. Mm. Ran away to go visit a friend, never came back for like 20 years. Made it to Michigan, mm. stayed there for a while, met a girl, got her pregnant, and her uh, parents tried to take her to Oregon away from him and overnight married her. And was like, guess who's coming with? <laughs> this is my dad. Yeah. So it ends up in Oregon. And then they made it like six months. He woke up one day and she was gone. Wow. Had gotten a letter from the mom. Was like, here's plane tickets. Don't oh, tell him shit. Take off. Yeah. And so he was by himself. He didn't have any money. And he moved in with a guy named Mike and didn't know that guy was a black belt in Taekwondo. Yeah. He just worked all the time, was never around. And I remember him telling me the story. It was uh, the, the way he started fighting was uh, he was way younger than Mike was. And um, he, Mike was a stickler for certain things in the house, and, which is a discipline Just thing. That, yeah. It's oh, discipline, yeah. right? Oh. My dad wouldn't um, wipe off the bar of soap when he put it in the soap dish. He'd put it in the soap dish with a bunch of water in it. Yeah. And the guy had told him like twice, don't do that shit in my house. I think that's gross. I run a tight ship here. And my dad woke up in the middle of the night to a dude standing on him in his bed and pegged him in the face of the bar of soap. <laughs> so oh, got up to fight this dude dude kicked the shit out of him yeah. and the next day it was like okay these are my days off you're gonna start training like we're gonna yeah. fix this <laughs> you're goddamn right and that's how my dad got Seriously. into martial arts so he yeah. found your dad's like does that mean I get to hit you in the fucking face dude 
so when he kind of like put two and two together, I had all this energy. I had no outlet. Uh, he put me in judo. Yeah. And it was ran by two really old, skinny, gray-haired, tall highway patrolmen mm. that, uh, at the YMCA that did it. And uh, the day it clicked, I remember I, I was standing in line to do a move. We were all doing moves on it. I think it was hip tosses. Yeah. And I was jumping up and down, just nonstop. And I remember him throwing people and leaning to the side, looking down the line going, stop. And then going, getting to it. And finally, like, I was jumping up and down still. And he walked behind me, waved me to jump, and kicked my legs out. I landed on my head and never did it again. And then it <laughs> that just started. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And it just started clicking. I did that for a couple years until uh, I ended up moving all the way in with my dad. And then my mom and my aunt that were paying for it were like, we we're going to live with your dad. And they cut the funding for it. And I never got to go back. Mm. But uh, little grassroots thing. I made it up. Uh, it's two, de- two degrees per belt. Yeah. And he started with, I think it was white, yellow, orange, and purple. And I made it to first degree purple. But my grandma, uh, just being country and old school, would uh, every time I got a new belt, she would fill her sink full of water, go to the grocery store and get writ dye and hand dye my belts instead of buying new ones. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she'd bleach my belt and then dye it with writ dye in the sink. Wow. And then I would show up with a cloudy looking new orange belt. Or, you know, <laughs> that's rad. Yeah. That's, honestly, that's pretty rad. That is awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I love that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to fix my shit. I should have done this right, right Get your shit together. <laughs> All right, there we go. I couldn't see. I couldn't see his pretty face. You know? All right, yeah, these eyes. <laughs> but uh, beautiful. Yeah. A- after getting into jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is so cool because like I did judo, which was very traditional in, in its mindset. And then you look at like wrestling, which is might as well be football in its yep. mindset. Oh, yeah. And jiu-jitsu is right in the middle. Exactly. It's um. It is this weird smile with aggression. Um. Yep. It's a super positive, but kill that guy. Yeah. You know, be good to your training partner. Hey, choke him harder though. Yeah. Like it's this weird thing where it's like we cross face each other on accident all of the time. Oh, um, we just had a, a kid come in uh, who's five years in. Uh, I ain't going to say his name. I can't remember, yeah. but he's a kid. But 13 year old. 13? Yeah. Okay. He's 13. 13, five years in. And uh, we were practicing Kimura grips and Kimura traps. And like me and him had probably done 30 or 40 on each other at that time already. Yeah. Shoulders getting sore. And they switched it up where uh, he went with that kid. And I went with someone else. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm looking over there and I'm like, man, because it's awkward when you get with someone smaller or even like a female because you don't know what to do, you know? And then that kid got kicked over to me. And I'm like, all right, my turn. <laughs> and he went once and. Dude. I thought he was going to rip my arm out of yeah. socket. <laughs> he was kicking my ass, man. The kid's like, like 110 pounds. Yeah. Hell yeah. And just that super talented. was tight. Right dude. on. Dude, yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, I love it, man. I absolutely yeah. love it. It's definitely, uh, there's a reason why they call it the journey. You know, that's a lifelong thing. Yeah. I, we, should, I, we should, have you gone to any of the fight events in town? I haven't, no. We should make that a thing mm-hmm. at some oh, point. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. That was, I used to go, at least like the, the boxing events, I used to go to those with my dad all the time. He had a business when I was a kid, and so he'd buy like a, a, a table, ringside table for, oh, his, nice. for his guys, you know, and so we'd go down there once in a while. Or That was always, because it was, I think it was every Saturday it was fight night at really? the Majestic when I was a kid. I don't think they do that anymore. Mm-hmm. They do have yeah. fights around here. Like, I yeah. remember Jordan had bought that table that one time. I just yep. couldn't go. We should do that. We should uh, throw some money together. I guarantee Jeremy's going to want to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm oh. down, dude. I miss Let's Jeremy too, man. I miss him so much. God, I called him fuck. last night. I just, Did you? I needed to hear his voice. That still, <laughs> it still blows my mind that he went to the same high school as me. That's in Washington. Oh, that's in right. Washington, yeah, he told yeah. me about that. Crazy. And only wild. thirty years apart. Okay, you know what's weird? Forty. <laughs> 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 about forty years. He's old. You want to know something else that's weird about Jeremy? He coincidentally is a a, a cousin of mine. Whoa! Yeah, how weird is that? That is crazy. Like, I mean, man. it's a couple. Yeah, you know, uh, he'd he'd probably be like a fourth or fifth cousin, but he, yeah, yeah. we're related in a weird way. We're related. That it's is insane, bizarre. He's wow. uh, 
and he knows he's not exactly the most devoted worker sometimes. But he played mm. a specific role in that plant. And I wish you could have seen more of it because you ended up going to nights and then taking yeah. off. He kept the mood light when it was yeah, bad, absolutely. and I get absolutely. negative. In, in he's a good there. time guy. For he sure. is, and yeah. he's he's really genuine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, I can get negative, but there's something about being in that building. I'm on my way out. I can say what I want about it. Like, get rid of me if you want. I'm weeks away from getting out of there. I have lost fear of that at all. Uh, that place. It's a good feeling, by the way. Dude, I'm waiting. <laughs> I, uh, it's like I've been underwater for a while, and I've got a couple weeks before I can take a breath finally. Yeah. But uh, on, that place can, can bring the negativity out of me really bad. Yeah. And, like, he would just, like, look at me out of nowhere and just give me weird looks oh, from across yeah, the table absolutely. and he'd make you laugh and smile like a song would come on and I have headphones in I'd be like dancing and look over and he's not even knowing what I'm listening to and just getting yeah. down and trying to get my attention it's probably like, in 4-4 yeah. we can dance this dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he brought joy to the place man he, he did awesome. absolutely he, he really did jolly that's son of a bitch exactly. 100% yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think of, just real quick, like there is definitely something going on for the last year probably in employment where I feel like the leverage has swung in our direction oh, yeah. for the first time in, you know, <laughs> recountable history. I mean, a hundred percent. There's something about that right the now. The employees market. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yep. the weirdest thing to me, actually, like. And it, not to keep tying back into where I work, but like that's also something that's on my mind about it's that place. It's super relatable too. to anybody though, because mm-hmm. everybody, I mean, there's a good chance you work at a place that kind of sucks. You yeah. know what I mean? And we're yeah. just, uh, you, you, there's those people that find what they want to do and they do that, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to get. Yeah. But the majority of us are stuck in a place where we have to, it's got to be serviceable, and that's what it is. But I think that there's like something going on right now where, where there's options because. I mean, let's look at the options that are out there right now. There's a lot of people working from home mm-hmm. because they decided that's easier. Automation. And it is. Of course it is. But automation's a big part. I mean, yep. you go to the mm-hmm. grocery store anymore, they got two checkers and you have to go check your shit out. You know? <laughs> yep. And just to tie on to that exact subject right there, there are certain businesses you cannot automate. Mm-hmm. Um, with mm-hmm. what we do for a living when it comes to what we, we build, um, with that, like you have to make certain snap decisions on how to fix certain things exactly. that a computer couldn't do no. at this point. They Not think yet. they can, though. They and think that they was, can. Uh, the owner of that establishment one time told me he was working on getting robots in. He was like, oh, it's going to be man. you and Brad and a couple other guys, and that's all they're going to be here. <laughs> yep. I remember that. That uh-huh. was insane, too. But the problem is, is when you get in those situations where you have to make a... Uh, a decision that is um, God, not artistic, but creative, a creative decision yeah. in order to make this, if you're building 30 things and you get two in, you're like, we got a problem here. There's a flaw in this design, but I, yeah. I can fix this. A computer will continue to make it with that flaw. Exactly. Where we will have to, yeah, everything has to be completely dialed in for e- sure. Exactly. Yeah. So the businesses that can't be automated yet. Yeah. We're in this weird stage right now where they need people in a different way that's not traditional well and it's only this dynamic really only applies to people that are willing to do what they have to do you know Mm -hmm. like if you're if you're valuable and valuable means you're willing to work and and you know, you have, you already have that in you, you know, you can make sacrifices. You can, you're going to show up, you're going to do your shit. Like then you've got the leverage in your pocket right now. And that's crazy mm-hmm. to me. And that's, oh, yeah. I mean, and it spills over to we've not that, not that everybody's being paid fairly by any means, but mm-hmm. you have a much higher chance right now of asking, of getting what you ask for. Yeah. You know, if you're, absolutely. if you're valuable, if you can go and do the thing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you can pretty much ask for what you want right now. And mm. within reason of course but you're much likely <laughs> much more likely to get it now than you were a couple of years ago yeah it's uh it's always been stressful knowing you're about to hop back on the open yeah. job market and this is yeah. the first time it is stressful that i know that i'm getting ready to do this mm-hmm. again but i'm optimistic mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. well there's i mean 
I mean, it's been memed, but I mean, there's studies out right now that it's literally easier for people in our generation to switch jobs in order to get more money. Because mm-hmm. when you start a position, you can ask for your, your rate of pay, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they're either going to say no or yes, but you you can ask for it. And, yep. and you're more likely to get a few dollars more at that point than you are at the place that you've been with for a few years. Yeah. Because to them, it's cheaper to replace you, mm. you know, it's, which is crazy. I mean, think about the job hunting tips we were giving getting out of high school. Do not bring up wages. Mm-hmm. That was, I remember being told yeah. that do oh, not yeah. bring up money. Mm. You're not going to get that, that job. Like a truly yeah. taboo thing too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and now like, be, especially and not just do because it. I'm a father and I have that stuff. And now like I'm really drank the Kool-Aid on jujitsu. It's like, I, when I walk in, like I, I will talk for a bit, but I'm gonna have to be like, okay, so what are your hours and what's the pay rate? Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. I need this to support my lifestyle and my lifestyle needs to work around these hours. Mm-hmm. If you can't exactly. do that, Hey, I, I appreciate your time, but I'm gonna have to look somewhere else. Yep. And I don't feel, uh, scared about doing that anymore yeah it used to just feel like i gotta i'm gonna take whatever comes my way (laughs) you know what i mean you can you can afford to kind of hold out a little bit now oh if your wage started with a two Mm -hmm. you would you uh, i gotta drop this hobby i Mm -hmm. might not be able to see my kid as much yeah but like Mm -hmm. it starts with a two i gotta take it Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting i i really i think that's uh that's nice and it's gonna be hard for them to uh swing the pendulum the other direction Mm -hmm. until until things ramp back up. And I think right now it's, it's just is what it is. So oh, yeah. mm-hmm. take that power while you can, if you're in a position that you don't want to be in, go find something else. It's crazy. Speaking <laughs> about like the way things used to be and, and then paradigm shifts, you had mentioned when we first started talking, you grew up in Puerto Rico. Yeah. 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 From one to five, right? That's right. Yeah. Or birth to five. That was where yeah. I put it till you were five. What was that? Like, do you remember a whole lot of that? I remember a lot from there, yeah. Really? Absolutely, yeah. What was it like compared to now? Like, what was growing up in Puerto Rico like? Because oh, it is man. a territory. Was it back then? Still? <laughs> uh, yeah, it yeah. was a U.S. territory. Okay. It was totally different, man. I mean, I was outside on my own all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now it's totally different. Kids can't leave the house, you know what I mm-hmm. mean, by themselves. But I was outside all the time, man, just running around. And it's, it's kind of crazy, actually, because... Next door, we had uh, drug dealers, and you know <laughs> yeah. there was like a major drug bust uh, uh, in our neighborhood. But it was a lot of fun, man. You know, just uh, meeting all the the kids in the neighborhood, and um, all day, every day, I was outside. You know, yeah. Am I off? Puerto Rico became a territory because of the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Was that was it wrapped up in that situation? I, honestly, mm. man, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, look it up. I gotta look it up, Jamie. Yeah. Uh, Jamie? Give her a goog, Jamo. God, we need a Jamo so bad. <laughs> it's gonna be Tyler. It's gonna like, end up being Tyler. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like learning about my family history for the first time ever now. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm having a kid, like I'm interested in that stuff. Before I didn't really care, but yeah. my grandma was over and I was asking her about the history of like Puerto Rico and. Um, you know, I learned that, uh, the natives in Puerto Rico, they were called the Tainos mm-hmm. and they were like a very peaceful, um, just kind of kept to themselves tribe. Mm-hmm. But there was another tribe that originally came from, I think it was like Northern, uh, South America and they're called the, the Caribos, the, uh, in English Caribs or something like that. And uh, that's where the Caribbean gets its name from. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Caribs. And they were like a super violent, actually cannibalistic tribe. Really? <laughs> and they would come to Puerto Rico and, uh, you know, kill the men and uh, take the women and, you know, do their thing. And uh, 
that's about all I know uh, as far as uh, Puerto Rican history. <laughs> so I think I was wrong about the, the whole missile situation, but it says Puerto Rico became a territory in 1898. Mm. Uh, 16,000 U.S. troops invaded Puerto Rico and occupied it during the months <laughs> of the Spanish-American <sighs> War. So it was, during, it was nice. Spanish-American War was the situation. Mm. Oh, time back sense. in Teddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. That's my boy. That's, yeah. my, that's my favorite president, by the way. Dude, I don't know. <laughs> Motherfucker just gets shot. And he's like, ah, I got a speech to do. Fuck do you know you. his Oak Island <laughs> connection? Before he was president, he owned a company and uh, took them to Oak Island. He was on Oak Island and uh, was one of the uh, the bigger groups that excavated. Oh, I yeah, I guess I have read articles about that. That's that's yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. Guy was a badass. Yeah, total badass. Awesome. A man's badass. man. He actually uh, trained jujitsu before it was Brazilian jujitsu. Japanese jujitsu. He did Japanese jujitsu right no, in the White House. You know, hell yeah, dude. He's yeah. also one of uh, one of the only presidents to have tattoos. Oh, wow. Really? I didn't mm-hmm. know about that. Yeah, yeah. Dude. You know, uh, Andrew Jackson had a tomahawk. Really? A tomahawk <laughs> tattoo? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look into his history, it makes sense, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah. He's one of the ones that have tattoos. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I'll have to look into what he had. I think one was like a, a paw print and something else, but has mm. to do with the frontier and all that. Uh-huh. Yeah, one of the only tattooed presidents. Interesting. In huh. one of uh, in one of Roosevelt's books, uh, something about one of his books about hunting and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He actually uh, gets into a story one of his friends shared with him, where a couple guys were out hunting, you know, way out in the wilderness, and uh, somebody like. Uh, they realized somebody was messing with their campsite mm-hmm. and then like eventually somebody gets like mutilated and it's you know it's kind of like a uh, I don't know where you guys stand with the whole Sasquatch thing oh, we uh, stand big fans we stand okay right on, right on. <laughs> <laughs> word word me too me I'm too, not a big so. cryptozoology guy yeah but um, we just don't know so guy. much yeah. there's so much we don't know absolutely mm-hmm. and uh, anyway so yeah there's Perhaps Sasquatch uh, took one of these guys out. And it's in Teddy Roosevelt's book. So. The fact that, that was so long ago, that if there were, it's more likely that back then you would actually run into one than it is now. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh yeah, we, we love Sasquatch. Okay. <laughs> they said, <laughs> like, good. we'll bring you back because, uh, I'm, uh, man, that is a cake in the fridge right now that I'm waiting to dig into. Yeah. Um, so, no, but Puerto Rico. So, um, climate wise, what was that like? Because I know it's tropical, so it can't be oh, sunny man. all the time. I imagine storms as well. But, like, yeah. what do you remember from, like, the, like the, just the environment and, and the, uh, the climate of it when you were growing up there? Oh, I loved it, man. Honestly, one of my earliest memories was just standing outside and, like, feeling the breeze. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, as a four or five year old, I was like, wow, that feels nice. <laughs> that's very that's cool. a stoic child. Yeah. <laughs> that's this definitely nice. me, man. I can that's I a- picture you as a child with a beard though. Dude, <laughs> dude, <laughs> real. There's no beard. I had a bowl cut though, for oh, sure. We all, so had, we all had a bowl Did your cut. Dad give it to you? What's that? Did your dad give it to you? My mom. Your mom? mom? She was a hairdresser. I don't know. Oh, lucky in- you. Lucky mom. you guys. She, yep. she was into the bowl cut. My dad snatched me up one day and gave me a buzz cut that's like I had a thing. lot of those my mom was upset about that but i was yeah just a little kid on an island with a bowl cut and uh yeah the uh, as far as the um the climate it was fantastic man i loved it i i still like i love the heat today is really hot mm-hmm. i love it that is insane honestly i love it i don't know why but um yeah puerto rico is a little bit hot it was very humid um, I don't mind the humidity, to be honest. Uh, really? Did your parents always live there? No. So technically, I was born in the mainland, 
Um, but after a couple months, we moved to uh, Puerto Rico. My mom's family's from there, so okay. we, we moved out there, and um, I stayed there till I was about five. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, we had um, you mentioned like storms and stuff. Uh, we went through Hurricane George. Um, hmm. It was uh, like thankfully our house was made out of concrete. Most of the houses around us, our neighbors, they were all you know made out of wood yeah most people didn't have much money mm-hmm. and uh you know this was our like i don't know some family member's house he was letting us live in and it was made out of concrete so thankfully it, it was strong enough to withstand the storm but i remember walking outside and all my neighbor's homes just gone wow you know just totally gone and we were without water and electricity for weeks um i remember uh taking showers outside when it would rain and all the water would would flow down the gutter and we would just uh collect it yeah and we would we would shower outside under the the rooftop you know that's awesome and uh that's an experience as a a kid i loved it you know i didn't know what was going on no frame of reference (laughs) my parents were super stressed but to me it was was adventure yeah yeah so when did uh, when you said like wood houses like i've spent some time in mexico are they talking talking like kind of shack kind of situations or like favelas kind of they were a little bit nicer than that okay you know a little bit nicer houses yeah just houses wood frame houses you know it wasn't too bad but Mm -hmm. uh yeah wood frame houses that just aren't built for hurricanes right which is wild because that's an area that gets them exactly but what do you you know poverty what are you gonna do yeah exactly what can you yeah that's a man what a lifestyle that's crazy yeah what uh what happened after five years old that brought you guys back to the states well, my dad, uh, my dad was actually in um, medical school. Okay. So he went to medical school in Puerto Rico, um, and uh, yeah, and it's just he came back to the states for you have to do residency and stuff like that. So first we moved to Connecticut. We lived in uh, yeah Bridgeport, Connecticut, and um, that's what brought us back. Is he was trying to complete you know uh, all of that stuff and. Um, we moved around a whole lot because of that, and so just different hospital kind of thing. You know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. At one point, he worked in a prison, and oh, um, wow. you know, treated. Uh, oh, that's gotta be wild. Oh, yeah. dude, it was crazy. Yeah, he's he shared some cool stories about. I that. bet that's gotta be. You got a lot of stories from a prison <laughs> oh, dude, hospital, man. I imagine he. he uh, thankfully, like my dad, he's he's short and like stocky, and he used to lift like a lot of weights and like. He would just, when he was walking through the... Uh, so that's where you get it from. <laughs> <laughs> he was bigger than me, though, man. He, he's, uh, I, yeah, I need to put some, some more weight on. But uh, <laughs> he, um, just the way he carried himself in the prison, you know, he knew he had to carry himself differently, and he had a very, uh, you know, serious demeanor. And uh, one of the prisoners came up to him one day, and they were like, hey, like are you a martial artist or something? Cause like they, they just thought yes. they, yeah, <laughs> he was the psychiatrist, right. but they thought for some reason that he trained like the, the security there or something. And, um, he's got to lean into that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he totally like, did. Yeah. He was like, yeah, uh-huh. don't ask me any questions. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to know. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, but yeah, he was, he was assaulted a few times there. And, um, but anyway, yeah. So, uh, he did that for a while and we moved around a whole lot. Uh, how many times? Like, so you, that, you were in oh, Connecticut dude. at first and then like how, how many it times did you have to move around? Something like eight times oh, wow. by the time I graduated high school. Wow. So 
it was uh, that might be part of the reason why I, I've always been more reserved mm-hmm. and more uh, you know of a peacekeeper because mm-hmm. I just I could never like dig my my roots in anywhere, right yeah you mm-hmm. know, and, um, but uh, at the same time it, it was a good experience I I kind of learned how to make friends you yeah know, and um, yeah and, and got to experience a lot of different things you know going from the northeast. It's very different from the southeast, mm-hmm. you know? yeah, and especially Puerto Rico is totally different. So I, I was always um, exposed to a lot of different cultures and uh, things like that. So. Where do you get? So you, you've been kind of all over the country at this point. Mm-hmm. What oh, what yeah. part of the country do you like the most? Oh man, uh, right here, really, <laughs> really, yeah. seriously, man. Uh, it's just uh, sadly it's changing a lot. You mm-hmm. know, I came out here maybe ten years ago or so, and I came out here for the the peace and the quiet, the mountains. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love it out here, man. But, uh, you know, every place has its ups and downs. It's all ebbs and flows. You know, exactly. I think this will, this will level out at some point, you yeah. know, a common theme we talk about when we get into stuff like that is the pendulum never settles. It swings super hard one way, super hard the other way. Yeah. It's always um, yeah. I came for the same reason. I had, yeah. I had been, I had lived in seven different States. Um, that was also another reason why I ended up being a quieter kid in high school, yeah. just moving place to place to place. I mean, even like things people don't talk about that move a lot is uh, girls. Man, it is so because you have to make friends with dudes, learn like this, you know, become part of the social pond, and then you start meeting girls, and then you move again, <laughs> and you move somewhere else. It's like starting over and over yeah. and over again. And uh, it, just a caveat on that, like, um, like my mom comes about once a month to visit. And uh, mostly to see my son. I'm chopped liver now. Once you have a kid, you, you're just, you don't matter no more. But uh, oh, yeah. she brought a box with me. Um, and it was a box for me. It was a tote from when I first moved into her house when I was 15. And I never unpacked that one. Mm-hmm. I never unpacked. And still, like, for me, I mean, Chase knows when he first started hanging out with me till now. Like, it is weird that my house is as decorated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, it was I, white. It was white in here when we started yeah, hanging out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I never unpack all the way. Um, yeah, it's just I'm always ready to move again. Mm-hmm. And that's why I came up here. I had yeah. I'd been traveling all over. I, I would save up leave time at my job I was working at, and I'd go find another place and just go hang out for mm-hmm. a week. And I came up here, and I felt it. And it was yeah. to be peaceful, especially I had already had a son at that time. And being a guy that, that, that is anxious and, and, and stressed out a lot of the time, I, I knew I needed to be somewhere and do things in my life that made me more relaxed because you can't be – you can't be a great teacher if you're in your head with your own things you're learning 24-7. Yeah. yeah. And, and my demeanor, I wanted to mellow out so I could be a better father. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when I came up here, I, I felt it and was like, okay, this is, I feel at, at peace here. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So then what, where, where did you move here from? Uh, from North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so that was uh, maybe a year after high school. Okay. Um, I graduated high school a year early just cause I, I started a year early. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, basically, man, I was, uh, just really immature and, uh, drinking <laughs> way too much and, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. getting into a lot of trouble. And I think we all have a pretty similar story on that one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, just, uh. I needed to get out of there. You know? Yeah, you got to break your, get out of the, the uh, scene you're used to being in once in a while. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When, when it starts going that direction. Yeah, and it exactly. takes, it takes a, like a fair amount of like four, maybe it's not quite foresight. Like I think it kind of is. You kind of know what path you're going down. You yeah. know what I mean? I knew like, where I was going, man. Yeah. Like I had a handful of like really bad car accidents. Oh, really? Involving Drinking alcohol. Involved. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, people could have easily died. I could have died. And I was like, man. Uh, and, you know, as a kid, you're full of testosterone and stuff. Yeah. And you're mm-hmm. like, I can do whatever. I can yeah, take you feel it. invincible about I've, everything. Man. I oh, felt yeah. invincible. And yeah. I got a, a wake-up call real quick. Like, man, my life, I could lose my life at any minute, you know? And yeah. I was like, and I tried to stop when I was down there. But it's like your friend calls you up. Hey, come on out. There's a concert, whatever, yada, yada. And, uh, you know, I would just... Uh, make the same mistakes Mm -hmm. and so my parents were actually moving out here uh before i was and um we just all kind of decided i I needed to get out of there and start new Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. okay so so to kind of kind of get into the the meat of our situation here um so we've got you in here because you were involved with potter's field ministries and the rosells Mm -hmm. uh where did that where did that start yeah man so uh Basically, I was just was very young and naive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, maybe a lot of young people go through this, but I, I was searching for meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I was very dissatisfied with life and the way the world is, you know. And so I was just, and I've always had like a spiritual like uh, side. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, when I was like 18 or something, I... You know, I became a, a Christian and kind of went down that path. And mm-hmm. when I moved out here, uh, you know, I was just trying to find a way to, I don't know, uh, live that out, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it's not something I grew up with. So it it was something like I chose. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I, I wanted to be all in, you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, so I was going to different whatever churches and uh it always seemed like just a Sunday thing, you know, just like, okay, we're going to do this on Sunday and then check the the box, do your thing, check the box and the rest of the week, do whatever you want, you know? So I was looking for, for a group that like seemed to act on what they believed, you Mm -hmm. know? And and Mm -hmm. I, I just, I wanted to help people, you know, like I said, I've always been a, you know, a peacekeeper. I've always loved people and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I, I was looking for a group that, uh, was living out what they claimed to believe and and I stumbled upon uh Pottersfield and I, I thought that's what they were cuz they mm-hmm. claimed to have all these missions around the the world and uh feeding these children mm-hmm. and things like that and it's a cause it's mm-hmm. a cause it's a it's a common thing that we've touched on before once again um this piece of human evolution that we are in right now is completely different. We are in this paradigm shift, which we can take, you know, we talked about it with the job market. It's the same thing. We can usually take the small ones, but this big one of out of nowhere, men don't have a coming to age trial. We don't have a cause, you know, like humans were tribal for millions of years. And you knew from as a little boy, once you got to the age, you joined the warriors and your cause was protecting the village and maybe gaining more land and assets to, to, to increase that. And then now all of a sudden we don't have that. Yeah. And we have, uh, I mean, I have made horrible decisions attaching my, when I was younger, attaching myself, myself to groups of people because I felt like it was a cause. Yeah. And uh, whether it was joining the military or any mm-hmm. of that stuff. Um, exactly. It's something that men especially need. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it seems like that you, that's what you were looking for. And this yeah. just happened to be the one that fell on your lap. Exactly. Yeah. And I almost uh, actually joined the military. Really? You know, I was trying to join the Marines and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But, uh, for whatever reason, yeah, this is just what happened to to fall into my lap, and um, yeah, and and you know they, 
one of the things about that ministry is there were a bunch of young, a bunch of young people. I mean, it was 90% uh, people my age, you know, and, and uh, people with similar backgrounds, you know, people that had, had gone through things and not what I expected, mm-hmm. you know, from like a religious group. And that drew just me as in. far as like people having having backgrounds, having history. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. It's young people, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's not something I grew up with. That's mm-hmm. not something I was exposed to. So I had a, I always kind of thought of like Christians, religious people as like old conservative. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so for the first time ever, I ran into a group of a bunch of young people that were like me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that uh, and they were living for something bigger. They, you know, seem to be living for something bigger than themselves. And mm-hmm. I, I was totally drawn in. Yeah. It's admirable. So that's interesting because exactly. I, I have a, I have a similar background yeah. in, in such a way that I grew up in church mm. and, um, I actually was involved in short-term missions for a, mm. a long time. Um, wow. but a lot of the people that I was involved with were, were like straight fucking died in the cloth church people yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> like they were all kids of people that had been in, in my church for a long time and yep, so they were yep. that's where they were from generational interestingly a lot of them i mean because they didn't have any kind of real history like they grew up in this echo chamber yeah. you know oh yeah <clears throat> um there wasn't like no one was questioning anything whatsoever no one had a lot of history to like base questions on you know and uh it's it's that's, that's an interesting dynamic because you're you're talking about people that are real people you know people that, yes. that have you know have a life that have mm-hmm. you know some some experiences to base things off of and, and really are trying to do the right thing in their mind yeah trying to you know yeah. um so why don't you kind of line us up with what what did that uh what did that look like when you got when you when you started getting involved with that with that ministry where where you know what were kind of some of the things that they told you that they were trying to work on um, how did you, how did you get involved there? Like, what was the status of them at the time you came in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess they, uh, they started in 1992 or something like that. And, and then they, did they start in Montana? Uh, the origins are South Florida. Okay. Uh, but I think, yeah, at some point, I don't know when they migrated up here because it's kind of secluded and mm-hmm. you can out of sight out of mind exactly and uh basically man like i said i i came i came out here looking for a fresh start mm-hmm. and i um you know i was like man i'm gonna go out to the mountains and like monk out you know what i mean <laughs> just like <laughs> and uh you know uh they had they actually had a uh what, what was it a um a tamale stand with a really dumb name. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was called Tamaleluya. <laughs> Tamaleluya. Man, you really yeah. got to write down a list of names and Bro. then pick one? Yeah. yeah, that'll work. That'll work. That's the one that was picked. Yeah. I love tamales, though, man. I do, too. Tamales there was always... That's fantastic. one thing I remember about being in church. There was always one Mexican lady that would do a tamale stand at church oh. every week. And it was the... Not every week, necessarily. It was like once a month, maybe. And it was yeah. like, you go and load up on tamales. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know? great food, terrible yep. name. And, uh, <laughs> tamales. Sorry, man. That's no. actually kind of gold now, actually. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a funny name let me check it out you yeah. know and mm-hmm. so i went over there and there was you know a bunch of young people and they were like yeah we uh you know work for this ministry yada yada and uh 
I was like, oh, well, I better check it out. And, you know, so I, uh, I went over there and it's interesting though. Like every time it actually took me a while to go, they, they had like a church, you know, that they kind of, it was their church, whatever. And I, uh, like I wanted to go, but I would always drive by, like I drive by to go there and just something fell off from the beginning. Really? Something fell off. And I was like, oh, that's just, that's just your anxiety, you know, just get Mm -hmm. over it. But I must've drove by, uh, yeah, I don't know, a handful of times before I actually went, you know, but then when I went, uh, most of the people were really cool. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, it was a bunch of young people with similar backgrounds and they were all really cool. Um, the, uh, the founder, uh, he was a different story. I immediately uh, had and this a red is Mike. flag. Yes, yeah. I immediately. Mike Rizzo. Had, yeah, yeah. I immediately had red flags with him, but like I said, I was young. I was naive. I gave him the ben- the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's how I've always been. I give people the benefit of the doubt, and I just kind of overlooked those that intuitive feeling I had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw the people he surrounded himself with, you know, these genuinely kind-hearted, good people. And uh, I just kind of ignored the red flags that I saw. And um, and I jumped in. I mean, I, I heard that they had a, an internship program and they would send you overseas. And I, I always loved, you know, to travel different cultures and this mm-hmm. and that. And, and it is a, it's a good ticket to like get to places that oh, you haven't dude. been before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. you feel like you're doing a good thing while you're oh, there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For sure. I, I totally understand that. That's yeah, yeah. That was the bait that I bit on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll join these guys and, you know, hopefully get to help some people out and get some, uh, some good experiences in. Um, had, had they actually done missionary trips at that time or were they talking about doing it? They had done them at that time. Okay. I, I don't know what the time frame is, uh, but they had been doing them for a long time. Oh, wow. At that point. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they, they, they'd almost always been involved in mission trips or whatever you want to call them. And, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what drew me in was the trying to help people out and, and the young people that were involved you know mm-hmm. so when did you just and you went on some trips with them i did yeah, yeah. i uh got to go to africa and got to go to central america and honestly like you know those experiences were very good you know I, for the most part uh the people i met in those places were amazing people you know um and i, I had a lot of good experiences um, when I did the traveling as an intern, uh, the main problems didn't really arise till I came back on staff. You know, I, I, uh, I kind of wanted to repay them because I had such good experiences when I was out in the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, why don't I go back and work for them? And maybe I can go back to these places again. And um, but yeah, it wasn't until I really started working for them that I really saw kind of the dark side. So when did the creation of Mudman happen in coordinates with what you just, you know, with, with your trips and stuff? Oh, yeah. when, when did the burger shop become a thing and how did you feel when that started? Uh, so, yeah, Mudman started basically uh, right around the time I joined, actually. Um, 
what I was told was that... What year about did you start? This was the end of 2016. Okay. Yeah. And so that's when they opened up uh, Mudman. It was the coffee stand, or the, the like kind of standalone one, right? Up on the... Up First the they had the standalone one. Then yeah. they got the one in uh, Columbia Falls. And I think that was 2018 when they did the, the Columbia Falls one. Maybe that was 2017. I don't know when the doors officially yeah. opened. But I remember helping them mm-hmm. set things up at the end of 2016. Okay. I don't know. Again, I okay. don't, yeah. immediately after that, I left the country. Mm. So I don't know, really know oh, what okay. happened. Okay, that um, makes sense. But uh, yeah, the way they, they spun it was, you know, we've got a bunch of uh, interns, a bunch of young people that want to come back and join the ministry and we don't have anything for them to do, so mm. let's give them something to do. Let's start this business. They'll all come join and work for us, and and uh, the the money we make from selling burgers will uh, will send back out to the kids. It was the, t- the new Tamaliluya. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It was the new and improved Tamaliluya, and uh, <laughs> they would, uh, you know, they, yeah. they claimed that all this money would go to all the children okay. in these different countries, and that's kind of that's really what they used to to keep us in there flipping the yeah. burgers and everything. They're like, mm-hmm. think about the kids. Yeah. Think yeah. about the kids. So you were back there flipping burgers too? For a while. Yeah. For a when, while. when you were in the States? Yeah. I did a few different things. I start when I came back from the internship program and traveling, I, uh, they hired me on, yeah, making burgers and all that. Um, working grueling hours. I mean, it was insane. We didn't have enough people to staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd work, I mean, it, it was ridiculous. Um, work a whole lot for under minimum wage, by the way. Under? Under minimum wage, yeah. Because they were... W- Their tax status, right, was what made that possible? And the fact they were like lodging you guys and stuff like that? They were lodging us for 200 a month. So they oh, so you were still, still paying for We it. were still paying. Uh, okay. It was properties that they owned, 200 a month. And there were different tiers of salary. So when you first joined, you got uh, like a... When you first joined, you got like a uh, something like a fifty dollars stipend at okay. a Safeway, and then you got three hundred a month. I think it was. Oh wow! So that's a big jump. So there's incentive to stay in. There's and, incentive to stay yeah, in. Yeah, once you're living in that lifestyle. The second tier was six hundred a month. <laughs> oh wow! And the final, well, kind of the final. Uh, it wasn't quite final, but the third tier was maybe. 1200 a month um and then certain individuals got i'm sure got more money than that but uh and this was this wasn't working 40 hours a week this was mm-hmm. honestly it was 24 7 i mean really and we're talking about this is a stipend to safeway you're this uh, is, or well, is that f- first so the fifth uh, first you got a 50 dollars okay gotcha and the 300 and then from there you got a paycheck of gotcha. okay. three hundred, then I think six hundred, then twelve hundred. Okay. Does that include um, the hours at the the money you made working your hours at Medlin? Are there it wasn't really uh like I said, you weren't really working um an hourly wage. You know what I mean? Being part of that so called ministry was um it was your whole life. 
This sounds like my experience as a private in the military. Yeah. We didn't it make was, hourly wage. Dude. They gave us housing. They would uh, they would put money into our account and then take it right back out, and that counted as our rent. Um, we would, you know, if they said you're staying, like there were times we stayed till midnight just because. That, that's kind yeah. of what it's starting to sound like. Yes, it, it was very militaristic. Um, in fact, uh, the term Navy SEAL was always thrown around. Really? Uh, by Mike. He, he kind of uh, claimed we were like, we were Navy, you know, like Christian Navy SEALs, right? And uh, so you had to devote uh, mm-hmm. everything. Because what he's telling you is you're, you guys are, you're devoting your life, right? So you got to do it, do For it. Cause, yeah, you're hardcore. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're yeah. hardcore. And so, you know, that's kind of the image that he, he put in our minds mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. this is like the military. Mm-hmm. You know, This is your duty. This is your duty. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it got worse than that. But um, financially... Yeah, we were, we made just enough to like, <laughs> um, you know, just enough to like buy food, you know, just mm-hmm. enough to get by. And of course we had low rent, but we had to rent from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we... Uh, so hold on real quick. So you weren't allowed to find housing somewhere else? Kind of, kind of. Most people were expected to... Uh, to you know find housing with Pottersfield mm-hmm. um, he actually so you know Mike is a master manipulator mm-hmm. to put it <laughs> lightly um, so he would interact with different people in different ways um, he knew that I had a stable family in the valley and so he actually offered for me to to stay with my family okay I didn't though because there was kind of this unspoken like you get Notion. more brownie points the other way. Exactly. Yeah. You're you're not really you're not really in it. So yeah. there were taboos. Oh, there were taboos, yeah. And uh so I I found housing with the ministry. Okay. And uh yeah, but they basically paid you just enough to live, mm-hmm. um, but not enough to be independent. You know. If oh. you were trying to like save up to leave get somewhere else. You you could not yeah. save up. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm sure that was intentional. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they did the numbers uh, it, on that. It was a way to control us. Mm-hmm. So That's interesting. So so then, so I've got to ask. So some of the early reports that kind of came out about this, I think where, where people started hearing about the less than up and up reputation, mm-hmm. let us say, was um, uh, claims of like um, being woken up late at night to do yeah, uh, prayer groups or Bible studies or things like that. There was, and, and correct me, I, I'm asking, this is a question, you know? Yeah. Um, so like part of, part of what I was hearing was kind of sleep deprivation in a way Dude, to keep you in a mindset. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's like manipulation. On top of the hours you guys were already working. Exactly. There certainly was sleep deprivation. Absolutely. And looking back, it's obvious that, um, that was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, now we had maybe a hundred something 100 plus employees around the world kind of spread out oh wow um but so different people had different experiences yeah, let yeah. me say that mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons some people hear this stuff and they don't believe it and they don't want yeah they don't want to they yeah. don't want to um so different people had different experiences and thankfully i was kind of shielded from a lot of the more dark stuff um again i think that's because Mike knew I had a had a place to go. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. You had um, an out. I had an out. Yeah. And 
he had actually interacted with my dad and my dad doesn't take, you know, he doesn't take that shit. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And they had a real, they were really, um, butting heads. So your dad really? kind of saw through it. He saw through it. Totally. Totally. Cause there's, there's one thing that I, so I have lived here the least amount of time. Um, and when I came and visited the first time, I think it was 2018, I came up here, I stayed for a week and that's when I made my decision that I was going to move here. And I went back and I saved for a year and then I moved here in 2019. But that week that I was here, I was staying at Ashley Lake the entire time, which is looking back now, is definitely a reason why I was so in love with this place. I lived in a hammock for yeah. a week at Ashley Lake, but every day I'd come into town, see something new and then go back. Yeah. And the last day I was there, um, I had my wife with me, my son and her sister, and I needed to feed them all. And I was just looking around for something and I saw Mudman, right? It's got, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's got a cool logo yeah. with, with the mountains and the sunglasses. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember walking in. So I don't have the same religious background as you guys. My, my, my mom's not religious and my dad is when it's poetic. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. when, when it's a good thing to say, he mm-hmm. is. But um, my grandfather got me into it. He would go out of his way to come pick me up every Sunday, take me to Sunday school, take me to that. And I did Bible study and stuff. And it just got to the point where um, being a kid that wants to know everything, I asked too many questions. And it got to the point where I remember they stopped letting me sit with the other kids in Sunday school because I asked too many questions. So that stuck with me the rest of my life. And that's the way I treat a lot of things. I ask questions. I'm skeptical. When I walked in there, I remember walking into the lobby and I was like, okay, Mudman, Burger Place. I didn't know the background. I'd never talked to anybody about when I walked in. I remember seeing the photos on the walls and they were all in black and white except the only color was the missionary kids. Yeah. So the kids that worked there in the pictures that were helping people, they were colorized they were and every person in the background was not. And I remember being like having a red flag going like, this seems disingenuous. Yeah, that yeah. was one of the first, I think like, cause I, like, I think I've got a little bit of a unique experience between the two of you somewhere uh-huh, because yeah. I remember when the fallout for this started coming up mm-hmm. um, from the outside, yeah. like you, were, you were still kind of involved and oh, I was yeah. seeing this stuff kind of starting to roll down. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was kind of when they opened that, that location in Columbia Falls and people started seeing the, the pictures on the walls. I think that was when people started kind of going like, this is kind of weird, you know? I mean, it's funny because like, I didn't necessarily think it was weird automatically because uh-huh. of my background oh. in similar situations. Okay. So I was like, oh, yeah. that seems kind of normal. They're just trying mm-hmm. to show, hey, we're doing good things and here's some people that were helping. But it's, it's like it's a little like white savory, you know? Oh, that, yeah. That's what I yeah. got too. Because yeah. even though, Absolutely. and also with my my experience dealing with religion, I lived in a Muslim country for a year. Um, and I got to see both sides of it. I got to see regular Muslims Mm -hmm. that I would sit and talk to. And I remember just like telling them, like uh, having an interpreter, like if I had a chance to sit around people that were, I'd be sitting in someone's front yard holding a a position Mm -hmm. and we'd do it for like an hour and I'd have an interpreter with me. And I would see a guy 20 feet away from me, like, tilling his field just staring at me you know and i'd, I'd have the turp go grab him and be like hey i want to say tell you right away i'm nobody important i just want to talk to you yeah and i'd ask him questions and those were real people and then there were times where i had uh i'll say bagged people up and i had to sit in the back of a truck with a dude who i knew was not the same and so i got to see both sides of it but um so I just have a skeptical outlook on religion, but I've always said that if that is something that makes you a better person, then I'll never say anything negative about it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But it was a red flag when I first walked in and saw those pictures. Yeah. And then I come back a, a year and a half later mm-hmm. and I start hearing this is going on and I was like, whoa, like 
this is something different than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So did you, when did you start, what was it relatively early that you started like in the mud man thing that you, you felt a, a drive for profit or <laughs> did you, was that, did it go a ways before you started feeling that? Uh, I felt that later on. Okay. Yeah. I felt that later on. Uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead. No, no. I, I guess in the beginning I, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, um, and part of that was cause I was, my interactions with Mike were very limited. Okay. I was mostly interacting with uh, the rest of the staff mm-hmm. who, for the most part, had good intentions. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, I think what Mike did was he tried to surround himself with people that um, had good reputations, were, were nice people, and uh, that kind of made up for a lot of his flaws. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked. You know, it worked. Uh, but yeah, I didn't realize there were kind of more shady financial things going on till much later. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I, I technically started at the end of 2016. Um, my internship uh, started 2017 and uh, I left in the summer of 2019. Oh, wow. Um, so, um, yeah, and it wasn't, I mean, it was a gradual process uh, as far as me realizing the things that were wrong with the place. It was little by little until eventually it was, uh, you know, kind of a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. So, that's like, so you, you saw the people that he was surrounding himself with. That's kind of his sheep's clothing, exactly. so to speak. And uh, yeah, I'll say this. He's definitely a wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh, yeah, he was surrounding himself with... Uh, with good people, you know, mm-hmm. honestly, they're, uh, they were good people, uh, but he's definitely a sociopath, a narcissist, mm-hmm. a wolf. So, you know, that's, I feel like that's the MO for guys like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on a, I don't know if it's a lesser or a greater degree, but like your, your Joel Osteen's, your, oh, all yeah. your, your mega church preachers yeah. kind oh, of yeah. do the same thing, yeah. you know, in, and I think that probably most of them are smarter than Mike. And that's just why they've been able to amass the amount of money that they have. And last Definitely. as long as they have. Yeah. And last as long as they have. Yeah. Because, I mean, we, we've talked before, like moving different places and, and with, with living that life, you join many different groups of friends. Yeah. And when you join a group of friends, it's a bunch of good people. And you have that one person that has flaws. But it's like these people would not stick around a bad person if they were bad all the way through. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And especially with, with, so I am, like I said before, like I'm a guy that have spent a lot of my life looking for a cause. And then yeah. you find these leaders that have flaws, but you go, but yeah, but look what they're doing. Yeah. That is, it, it's, you overlook those flaws because man, the, the weight on that guy's back to be able to do these things Bingo. will accept that. And these good Bingo. people would not stay around them if it was a bad mm-hmm. person. So no. you let that go because man, it's got to be a hard life yeah. running this and making these good things happen. That's you- exactly right. And, and that's what would always happen even when his character was called out. Because many people would call out his character. He would always point to, oh, but look at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Look at these children that are being fed. Look at Mm -hmm. these lives that are being changed. He always had a scapegoat. He always had a scapegoat. Interesting. Very well planned. That's very well planned. It seems like he had these cards in his pocket. He did. He would always say... He'd always say that he was playing chess mm-hmm. and everybody else was playing checkers. <laughs> Evidently, right? that was true. But he yeah. wasn't playing 4D chess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's you... 
because you've, you've, you've described him as a master manipulator and that's clearly the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting. Narcissist. Yeah. And it's interesting oh, yeah. because you would from the outside and this is not a dig at you by any means, no. you know, it's you, I, fi- I think that you're a very intelligent person and you're obviously level headed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't expect people to be able, you know, you, you expect yeah. people that are manipulated to be on the lower end of the IQ level. You know Definitely, what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. not the case because, you know, you, you're, you're thinking things through, you're doing what you feel like was right. And yeah. unfortunately, this guy just had a plan about it. Exactly. Is what, is what exactly. It like. and you're absolutely right, man. Like from the outside looking in, you think, oh, wow, only a fool could fall right. for this. Yeah. Right. But it's like, yeah, uh, that's not necessarily the case. There were a lot of highly intelligent people who left uh, great careers to mm-hmm. join. And it's just anyone, something, this is something that I learned uh, going through this is anyone can kind of rationalize, you know, and it's kind of, especially if you're really smart, mm-hmm. if there's something that you Probably want, more so, yeah. If you want to believe mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. you can find the reasons. Yeah, to. you're finding the rationale oh, yeah. somewhere. You know yeah. what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and there's this there's this concept, uh, some psychologist came up with this, but the concept of like the elephant and the rider. Mm-hmm. And like the rider is like your reason. Mm-hmm. The elephant is your subconscious and all these other things. And so like really kind of what drives people is more their subconscious not as much the things they're aware of, mm-hmm. you know, and there are a lot of subconscious reasons why I wanted to stay there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I wanted the acceptance. I wanted the community. I wanted all these things. And you had purpose in your life. I had purpose. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. And so all of those things kind of kept me there. Even when I would see, <laughs> yeah, the kind of the issues with Mike, um, I would just be like, well, you know, but look at this, look at that, you know, and I could, I would kind of, I would, uh, rationalize why I should stay. Mm-hmm. Like it even got to one point at the very end, I was like, okay, maybe this is a bad organization, but I can still like help people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I can use this as my vessel. Still, exactly. still right. holding on. I can yeah. use their resources to help people. Yeah. yeah. And that was like the, at the very end, you know, and a lot of people went through that same thought process. I'm sure. Yeah. So, so I guess at this point, I think we, we, we see where your mindset was from point to point. Um, if you're comfortable with it, I'd kind of like, I'd like to know some specifics where, where did you kind of start to see, what were some scenarios where you saw some abuse? Oh yeah. Oh man. Where do I start? (laughs) Let's start the first, the first significant time where where you thought, okay, like this is not okay. Or, or this guy yeah. is abusing his power in terms of treatment, not necessarily in terms of like uh, an employer, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll say this: there was always a, a vibe, yeah. uh, for lack of better terms, uh, that he was a shady character, you know. But I would always just tell myself, like, oh, you know, anybody can change, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. eccentric, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so there was always kind of that sense there, but. Um, I'll tell you the first major, like, totally obvious red flag. Um, So this is when I was an employee, no longer an intern. Um, At one point, they had a food truck. Mm -hmm. Like mobile, so they could actually go to events and stuff? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it uh, it was an old Mac Tools truck. 
that <laughs> that have been converted, right? But man, is hell is that set up for that uh-huh. too? Like that is a that's a <laughs> yeah. perfect buy to set that up. It was yeah, it was a former Mac Tools truck that was converted into a food truck, and uh, first of all, almost everyone, at least the higher up you went, they were put in positions where they shouldn't have been. You know what I mean? Like most of the employees were were really young, had no experience. And uh, early 20s, early 20s, exactly. And they were always put in positions where they had, yeah, no experience, no education, Mm -hmm. anything like that. And uh, so the guy at that point that was kind of in charge of of Mudman was, yeah, he was a young guy uh, who had had a history in drugs and stuff like that. And he got got clean through this program and all that. And Mm -hmm. um, he was he and myself were pressured into um, taking this this food truck across the country to Philadelphia. Um, really? Now, yeah. Now, this this thing was like on its last legs. It oh, should, wow. It should not have gone outside of the valley. You know what I mean? They and, sent just the two of you with it? No, no. There, there was a team, you know, a team of yeah. us. But you guys were at the head of it kind of thing. Kind of, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so... Um, we were pressured into taking this thing out to Philadelphia because there was a church there that was going to host us and we'd sell burgers and make a lot of money. And uh, also, I want to say this. Everything that we were asked to do was done with the assumption of God's not going to love you, you know, if you don't do this. That's some pressure. That's pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you said assumption, so it wasn't said straightforward. But at, at like least the, to like, me, at least yeah. to me. Maybe yeah. for some people it was straightforward, but I I picked up on it. Quick. That's the it's it's double talk. Yeah, and, and that's exactly. the thing it is is it's masterful. Like you said, he said he was playing chess, not checkers. And if you push too hard, it'll push people away. But just the assumption, yeah, and just like you say, you said before, the vibe of it, like. Like that is very, very manipulative and oh, very yeah. smart about it too. Yeah. Because the people who aren't good at manipulating, who love it, will push too hard or they won't push enough and it falls through. But to be able yeah. to find that middle ground to make to make you think you're making your own decisions. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so he didn't say it outright, but you could just sense it. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you don't do this, God doesn't love you and you're just, you're, you're whatever, you know, your your life is garbage mm-hmm. and uh so that was the type of pressure we had and uh so yeah we went for it and actually i, I had just a few days prior gone through a uh had all four of my wisdom teeth removed. oh shit man As a, dude i was Jesus. like miserable bro i had my you know i, I was on painkillers yeah uh i should not have gone but i went i was like whatever yeah. and uh, you were devoted exactly i was 100 percent devoted and he took he took total advantage of that. You know what I mean? Like, like he took advantage of the good qualities in people. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I was ready, all of us, we were ready to give everything for what we actually, you know, for what we believed in. And, and he just took advantage of that for himself. And uh, anyway, so we were sent off and uh, the, uh, the truck broke down <laughs> oh, shit. in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> In uh, Lordstown, Ohio. At least, at least <laughs> you're shout in out Lordstown. to Lordstown. Lordstown, yeah. <laughs> shout out to those folks. And um, <laughs> we broke down on the highway, mm-hmm. and uh, this is a crazy story, actually. Um, yeah, our uh, our our truck was on the side of the highway, and there was a. Uh, 
I was in a different vehicle. We took two vehicles. Mm-hmm. And we knew that the truck was breaking down. So me and a few other guys took the van that we had and uh, tried to, you know, find uh, the parts to fix it. Yeah. To fix the food truck. And um, so we left. And then I got a phone call. And I was like, we got in an accident. Get here ASAP. And so we drove back to where we left the broken down food truck and it had been demolished. Oh, shit. And uh, a truck driver, 18-wheeler, fell asleep at the wheel and drove through the food truck. Oh, my (laughs) God. If that was a sign, you know, that that should have been a sign right there, right? I can't imagine Uh, the stress, though, knowing what was on your shoulders and that happens. And it's like, you, you... the fear of being like, hey, look, I'm in the right. Like, like this wasn't our fault, but Damn, you know man. that this cause and this, you know, the assumption you had talked about, like, this still has to get done. We, we were ready to go through anything to get over there, you mm-hmm. know? And, and that's the thing. Like, we were, we were in a bubble. You know what I mean? We were in a bubble, and it was like living in a different world. You know yeah, what I mean? An echo chamber. It was an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And, and so, anyway, we... Uh, it's a, it's a wild story. Um, the guys, so when that happened, a couple seconds before that happened, there were two guys in the food truck. And I spoke to one of those guys today before I came here just to confirm what happened, you know. And he said he just got this sense. Who knows, you know, some type of sixth sense. Or something. They, were, they were in the truck. They were in the food truck. He got this sixth sense that he needed to get out of the truck. He jumped out of the truck. He yelled to the other guy in the back of the truck, get out. <laughs> they jumped over the guardrail. Just it, They didn't even know it was on the other side of the guardrail. They just jumped out. And then this 18-wheeler That's destroyed crazy. it. crazy. Just flattened this wow. Mack tools truck. Those things are hefty. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just obliterated it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know... <laughs> Basically, we were put in that situation by Mike and the pressure that he put us into to drive this broke down, not roadworthy vehicle, not roadworthy vehicle. And they, you know, the guy that was in charge at that time, he couldn't have said no to Mike. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He couldn't have said no to make this trip across the country. And so we uh, we tried to get over there and uh, to Philly and. This happened. Those guys, honestly, they could have died. Oh, yeah. And we had been in plenty of situations like that where, like, whoever's running this thing <laughs> is not making the smartest decisions mm-hmm. and putting er- putting people's lives at risk. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's one example of where it was this close. So I have a question to, to stay on that real quick. Um, for one, when the truck broke down and you guys got in the van... And you wanted, you know, you had to go find parts. How were the funds allocated to do that? Was there a business card that was given to the group? Like, if you had to, if you had to pay for something, yeah. you had this card. And if so, what was the process of asking for permission to use the card? Was it yeah. a trust thing where it was like, if you get caught in a buy and use this card, or like, you need to call Mike and make sure you can do it. So, like, how were you going to go get parts? It was a little bit of both. Uh, some people were given a. Um, a credit card mm-hmm. uh, that had uh, access to the so-called ministry funds, and um, so-called, yeah, yeah, you know. And uh, anyway, um, 
for some things it was you know like you had to buy gas that's obvious yeah Uh, other things you had to get permission for for that specific situation i wasn't the one uh you know in charge of the card holder yeah i wasn't the, the card holder for that um but generally there was you had to get permission you had mm-hmm. to call there was a lot of stress about that you know here's another thing um in general you didn't have any real freedom if you were on staff yeah especially to do anything without permission um and uh i which is a horrible position to be in. And when you're given responsibility, you yeah. need to have the confidence that you can make the decision when something happens, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, for example, kind of my main job was uh, that uh, I-, I was a, an RA, so a resident assistant for, we had like a quote-unquote discipleship school. So... I would, we had interns come in and I would take care of them, make sure they stayed out of trouble, you know, teach them things like that. I'd live with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had to like clean every Saturday and, uh, I would, um, you know, and one time uh, when I first got this, this role, I, uh, I thought, okay, well, one of the guys asked me, he was like, Hey, can we, uh, can we clean Friday night? And then Saturday morning, go to Mudman to get breakfast. And I was like, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Why not? We'll just clean the ahead of time and then uh, give uh, Pottersfield some money by uh, buying their breakfast. So that's what we did. And I showed up to Mudman and uh, all the guys were eating breakfast. And um, I got a phone call and it was from my uh, superior. Everything was... Uh, it was a hierarchy, you know, it was like military structure. Really? Okay. Total hierarchy. You was, there, was there titles? That's a weird question. There, like, uh, not necessarily, no. I mean... But you kind of knew where but people you stood. Knew. Yeah. You knew who was ahead of you. Yeah. And uh, you listened to them. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I got a call from my uh, the dude ahead of me, and he was like, hey, where are you? And immediately, instinctively, I knew that I had crossed the line, that I had done something wrong. <laughs> supposedly and he was like where yeah where are you and i said oh i'm i'm at mudman i i got the guys to buy some food i thought we would help the ministry out you know we cleaned ahead of time and he was like don't ever do that again like without permission you took a ministry vehicle and you could have gotten an accident something could have happened yada 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 and you took that responsibility upon yourself and dude i I was so like, but in your mind, you're being a leader. You're trying to in my proactive. Mind, I'm like yeah. being proactive. I'm being a leader. But at that moment when he called me, I like, I, like I said, I had drank the Kool-Aid and I yeah. was like, wow, I did something wrong. Man, I really screwed up here. I really screwed up. Uh-huh. I, took, I took the guys to mud, man. To but get the, some but the, the, the base of it was that you took the truck, right? Not without, without permission. permission. Yeah. And so after that moment, I was like, I can't do anything without permission yeah as and small I, as that and i carried that weight the whole time and like dude, a moment that of realization a, that is a lot of stress man like i can't do anything without permission and um uh, yeah so that was a an eye-opening moment all right so that's kind of so you kind of at that point realize that you're you don't have the decision-making power no. in and, and you're kind of expected to be a leader in this yeah. organization but they're 
kind of castrating you in your in your ability to do that. Exactly. Yeah, they would throw around the term leader all the time, and oh, we're going to raise you up to be a leader, and it was kind of a way to um, to keep people in. Mm-hmm. You know, like hey, oh, yeah. if you stay, you're going to go up to this position, that position, and and that's something that I believed. I was like, to a certain kind of guy, that word is powerful. You know, because you want to be Mm -hmm. a leader, you know, there's certain people that that doesn't appeal to, but there's the people that they're looking at. Yeah. Obviously it's going to appeal to, you know what I mean? You know, for, for the first time ever, I felt like, wow, there's something I can be good at. Yeah. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? And, and if I just stick with these guys, I can be good at this and I can have a position of prominence or this or that. And, uh, that's something that they would tell all the, you know, all the guys and, um, um, yeah, I was actually, <clears throat> as far as, uh, like, freedom and the ability to make decisions and all that, I, I was talking to a, a friend last night who also worked for them, um, and he talked about how he went, to, he went to college after all of this. Like, he left, and then he went to college, and he was, uh, you know, he was living on campus. He was living on campus, and he... Uh, he asked the the RA of that campus, he was like, hey, can I, um, is it okay if I leave the campus? And the guy was like, oh, you want to get your own apartment? Like, yeah, that's that's fine. You can get your own apartment. But he was like, no, no. Can I go get I coffee? Like, I do something. Like, can I go get coffee down the street? Indoctrination. That, that and is... that, that's like, that was after he left. You know what I mean? And like, that's the environment we came from where you you needed permission for everything. You know, this guy, he was like on the other side of the country. He already quit working for Mike and all them. And and he felt like he needed to ask his, his RA. Because he was just living there. Yeah, just wow. he, so that's that what mindset. he was used to. Yeah. yeah Can I get yeah. coffee? Wow. And the guy was like, never ask me that again. What in the world is wrong with you? Like, you know, go do what you want. <laughs> There's parts of that that make sense. Like as I... Uh, I when I was younger, um, I, I've had a, I've had a lot of leadership roles, and I can look back in the beginning of it and being taught by good leaders how to be one. And it started when I was like 19, even being on a trail crew, I would fill in. You know, there was a thing an assistant crew lead, and I remember um, the first time a good leader pulled me aside and talked leadership styles. And it's not your leadership style; is you have to adapt your leadership style to, to every lead. every person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is coming from a good place. So it's like this person learns and takes orders the best from this from this platform, right? Um, some guys like me, like if you're like, get on your feet, let's go, we got this. Like, you put your arm on my back, like we're gonna drive. Like, that's how I work. Some guys are like, hey buddy, like you ready to go? I'll help you if you need. They like the light side of it. But if you take a manipulator and give them that same training, they'll go like, they'll listen to you talk. And they'll go, oh, he needs this to make him do what I want. This person, I have to be softer. This person, I have to be harder. This person, I have to rely on the, we talked before, the the cause thing. If you're a cause guy, like, hey, this is on our backs, buddy. Like, I know Mm -hmm. it sucks, but we're doing the greater good. And if you put a manipulator and a narcissist in that situation with those same techniques, like, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm hearing is like, is is, is he knew how to talk to you without being overboard. He's just using the keywords that work with your brain and key to lock works good. So once you kind of had that, established in your head you know up to this point was there was there a moment um i mean i guess before or after that point where you maybe someone came up to you with one of their issues or Mm. something like that where where they were trying to like hey i'm struggling with this thing that's going on you know was it was there was there something like that that sticks out to you 
just another person that was in that ministry um yeah uh you mean as far as like struggling with some of the uh, darker things going on there? yeah 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 um you know at at first the only things i heard like against pottersfield and mudman were from people on the outside mm-hmm. and you know it it didn't really help because it kind of uh some people would just kind of criticize Mm -hmm. criticize and there's a lot of that yeah Yeah. there's a lot of that and i was like man i wish these people would talk to me and understand what we're doing and understand what i see what Mm -hmm. we're doing and when i would just hear that criticism i would just kind of dig my heels in even more Mm -hmm. i'd get defensive you Mm -hmm. know so initially that was the only criticism i heard was from those on the outside but then yeah little by little there were people on the inside who um actually uh, a couple times people just disappeared into the night man they just ran they just ran off and i was like wow that's seems in, weird that seems weird yeah that seems weird how would how would they spoke about oh dude once it was noticed they were gone what was the vibe of the group because i'm guessing oh, <laughs> with that master manipulator that he had to because there's the term like you yeah. have to kill the chicken that leads the rest astray yeah. if that one takes off they don't want because like no the thought spread like wildfire and i know he would to keep this going he would have to stomp that out so yeah. what was uh like uh, the, the 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 i don't know the, the pr thing he had yeah. to do to the rest of the group to make sure no one else did it like what was how's that handled well you know the typical thing don't talk to him you know, don't talk to these guys. They're like exercise. They're yeah. excommunicated. Yeah. Excommunicated. Don't don't talk to them. They left for this or that reason. He would just he would flat out lie about things, um, and uh, yeah, it was mainly don't talk to them. Um, and he'd make up some reason, and uh, yeah, and and honestly, I I remember when I first heard him say that, I was like, that's really weird. You know, mm-hmm. like. Why can't I talk to them? If if what we're doing is good, then it, I shouldn't be worried about what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Like, and I I love these people. I care about them. I, I want to know why they left. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. but you miss them. Yeah, exactly. But and here's another thing. Going back to how busy we were, you were too busy to even oh that person think gone. about yeah. them. They're gone. Right. Yeah. You got the next thing to take care yeah. of. You're you're way too busy to to worry about that. You're you're exhausted and and you gotta. Uh, a full uh, a full plate of things to take care of mm-hmm. so you go on to the next thing keep on keeping on yeah. did you was there has there been a moment since since then that you've talked to any of those people that left mhm um i haven't spoken to any of the people that like left in the middle of the night mhm but there was a, a time Pretty hard when, to probably get a hold of at this point, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's one seen, guy I want to talk to but I, I don't even have his number anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but um a lot of people ended up leaving in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd say, oh, hey, I need to go to school. Is it okay if I leave? <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, um, or whatever, you know, they'd come up with different reasons uh, to leave. And most of the time it was excuses. They just knew something was wrong and they had to leave. Mm-hmm. But there was a time, especially in 2019, um, when, so basically like Potter's Field was partnered with another church, uh, Calvary Chapel. And eventually Calvary Chapel was like, they realized what was going on. Oh, yeah, sure. I remember this going yeah. down, actually. So I, they, I have no knowledge of this. So Calvary Chapel's a you know non-denominational church, whatever you want to call it. And a little more lax? 
they uh, they don't follow any really uh, traditional. It's not a Pentecostal. It's, it's not, not a, evangelical. It's more it's moral Catholic, based than it is. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of their own thing, basically. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's what yeah, non-denominational is. They just kind of make make their own tradition, and uh, basically they cut ties with Pottersfield because they were hearing back from people that were involved, like, hey, this is going on. This is wrong. This is like bunch of you know mike is uh emotionally abusing people we're not getting paid and uh so calvary um which is a pretty big like group cut ties with with pottersfield and um basically we weren't um we weren't given answers as to why like we w- that's interesting oh yeah and because you left in 2019 so this was towards the late, end of the year. a few months later yeah okay and like yeah, so that that was like a big wake up call for me. So again, my job, my role was RA, resident assistant. I was with the interns, the people coming in from they're coming in from all around the world, honestly, and they were they came in to, you know, whatever, um grow and to learn and um eventually it got to the point where and yeah, so my responsibility was to help foster their spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my primary responsibility. And I, I took that extremely, you know, uh, that was very important for me. And basically it got to the point where some of them were hearing things like, why, yeah, why did Calvary split? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. why did this happen? And the leadership wasn't telling them the truth. And I was like, whoa, like, mm-hmm aren't you supposed to tell the truth? You know, like, isn't lying like a sin or something? Well, what, were the, what, were the, what were their excuses? Well, because at the time, oh, just dude. to like preface this a little uh-huh. bit, I believe, and correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, yeah. um, during, that, during that same time period, there was also like, they were discovering that there was potential misappropriation of funds oh, yeah. from Mudman as well as Paul So yeah. lies were stacking? Yeah, there's oh, like yeah. Embe- embezzlement yes. uh, claims coming up. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, the ministry that the the outreach ministry was handed over to another organization correct that's God, right that God was speak. that was towards the very the end, very end. Yeah. that was kind of the right before they kind of Mudman stopped for a second and then restarted as a as Ex- its own thing exactly that that's spot on um so yeah uh basically um so when calvary split their relationship cut their ties with pottersfield that opened the eyes of a lot of people because a lot of people within the group had ties with Calvary. Mm-hmm. And church communities are strong. I mean, oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're generational. Yeah. Exactly. And so people were like, hey, you got to get out of there. This thing is a cult, you know? And uh, so I started to notice, like, oh, this person left. You know, oh, that person left. And, you know, I, 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 at first I wasn't sure what to make of it. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And, uh, Little by little, I just started hearing more, you know, like eventually there's a, a great website uh, when it comes to like Pottersfield stories and stuff called uh, the Phoenix Preacher. Mm-hmm. It's like some blog. It's amazing. Uh, there's a lot of letters yeah. on there, a lot of open it, letters. Uh, yeah. And I, I can't speak. I'll post a link on, on the, the episode uh, description. Yeah. And I, I can't speak for the guy himself. I don't know. I've only read the, the Pottersfield related mm-hmm. stories, but mm-hmm. 
all that stuff is true. <laughs> really? It's all that really stuff is true, dude. Yeah. Um, and I remember like just, yeah, little by little started hearing different things. And eventually I heard a story from someone I knew personally and I trusted because at first a lot of stories were coming from people I didn't know, mm-hmm. people who were there before. But then somebody that I knew and trusted wrote, uh, you know, a letter and I was like, I was actually pulling a shift at Mudman, and I heard somebody reading it and I was like, that's true. It just, it just, it had the ring of truth to it. And I knew that person and I was like, there's no way that they're lying. Mm-hmm. And it's like at that moment, like my eyes were opened, you know, I don't know yeah. how else to put it. And An epiphany, epiphany. Yeah. Moment of clarity, you know? And I was like, I got to leave this place, (laughs) you know? How did that make you feel knowing that like, like I said, like I have made very many mistakes attaching myself to people that I thought that it was good and I was doing something, I I was a part of something. And then you realize, oh my God, I've been, I've been blinded to something. Like when you had that epiphany, what was your emotional state at that time when you were like, man, maybe all these little pieces that I had, I had written off because of the main cause. Like now, like it started to click. Like, how did you feel? That's a good question. Uh, at first, you know, I, like I said, I, I took my job seriously, which I, I was looking after these young people that came for guidance, for, for growth. And I just remember thinking, like, this is not <laughs> a good environment <laughs> mm-hmm. for them to grow. You know, like they're being lied to. And, you know, apparently there's some abuse going on. So... I can't allow this to continue, you know? And so that's uh, really, that's, that's the main thing I thought about. I, I, I was really thinking about them and, um, cause I you're m- still in that fostering mindset of these people. Exactly. You yeah. care about these kids you're taking care of. And now it's like you need to, t- you need to protect them from something else. Exactly. And it's like, yeah. So I, Basically, I came to the conclusion um, it would be better for these interns not to be here than for them to be here. Oh, wow. And so I thought, well, we're, we're, uh, I thought, I, I knew that if I left, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be anybody to replace me. You know, we were so like, there, there weren't enough people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we were so, all of us had so much responsibilities. If I left, it would, uh, the burden, uh, there'd be nobody else to pick it up because everybody else was so busy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if I left, maybe that'd be like a, a leg off the chair, you know, yeah. that would eventually cause everything to crumble. And so. I what was a like, weight to carry. Oh, dude. And. I still, you know, I still kind of struggle with it because I know it was kind of like a. Either way, it was bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If I just ripped that off like I did, I ended up quitting, and I, I drove over and I I told all the interns like, "Hey, this is what going, this is what was going on. This is all the stuff they weren't telling you." I gave them everything at once, you know, and it's like, in a way, that's traumatic, you know. But at the same time, it would have been worse if they mm-hmm. stayed. If they stayed and nobody told them the truth and they found out by some other For means. For sure, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And so I was just like, 
at first I, I told Mike like, okay, here's my two week notice, which that was a huge step for me. Like yeah, I can imagine that's probably I, a deliberation. Dude, I yeah. thought I was going to be for them for the rest of my life, you yeah. know, sadly. Yeah. And, but when I told him, I, I told Mike like, Hey, here's my two week notice. I can't keep doing this. And again, master manipulator, he came up to me, he hugged me. He was acting like he was sad. He was like, if there's anything I can do for you, <laughs> let me know, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it, total lie, total lie, by the way. And, uh, but then the, the very next day, I was asked to take all the interns to like Browning. You know, we did like work in Browning in the Blackfeet Reservation. And they asked me to do that. And I, I just couldn't. It was like, I can no longer wear this shirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can no longer drive that van with that logo knowing what you guys represent knowing what the community sees and you've already committed to kind of your you're out exactly yeah. yeah so when they asked me to go there i was like i spoke to my higher up i was like look man forget that two-week notice i i can't do this anymore i'm done like i'm gonna go over and tell the interns everything that's going on and then i'm done <laughs> you know and so i went over and i told them and like honestly some of those Young guys, like, they started crying. They were like... I can only imagine. And so, you know, I, it sucks, you know? Like, I, I feel bad for those guys. and But at the same time, it would have been much worse if they had stayed and uh, Pottersfield had continued. If Pottersfield sent... At that point, they were still in training. Mm-hmm. So they hadn't been... There was, like, a three-month period of training, then a six-month period of being sent out to wherever, Africa, Asia, South America. Six months. Yeah, yeah, six months. And uh, if they had been sent out there, like, that would have been terrible. It, it was best, in my opinion, to just, at that moment, just stop. At the very yeah. least, they can decide for themselves if they, exactly. are, if they know. And, and that's yeah. where I was at. I was like, you guys need to know the truth. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, that's what I need to do in my own conscience. I was like, I can't lie to you guys. What did that conversation kind of look like? You know, yeah. um, you can abbreviate it, obviously, but like... well. That morning, uh, the previous night, I spoke to some people I looked up to, and I was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. I'm going to quit. And uh, they were all for it, you know. Really? And, yeah. And people that were within the ministry, they were like, dude, So it was really quit. reaching a peak at this point. It was reaching a peak, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so it was like a herd mentality, but at the same time, everyone wanted, a lot of those people wanted to go, but they were still stuck, and, and you were yeah. the one that was going to go. Well, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put it all on me. Like I said, there yeah. were a one, hand... one of the ones. One I was of one ones. of the yeah, ones. One Li- of the ones. Little by little, people were quitting. And it was slowly opening up everybody's eyes. You know what I mean? It's like Plato's cave, you know, mm-hmm. the allegory of the cave. Like for a long time, everybody was just staring at the shadows. But little by little, you know, you walk out, you look, you look and uh, it's like, this is real life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is real life. And so that was happening to all of us. We got up out of our chains, out of the cave, and went into the real world. And um, I wasn't the first one. I, I was one of many. But maybe I was one of the last ones. Kind of, yeah. And uh, anyway, um, so yeah, I, uh, I, the next day, I was like, okay, I'm going to speak to my higher up. Because I was still kind of in the... Uh, they still kind of had a hold on me. I should have just left. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. need to talk to anybody. I'm but afraid. it felt like, you, you know, you're kind of being respectful. I was trying to be respectful. You cared, man. I was trying to do it the right way. And so I spoke to my higher up, who, by the way, 
he knows who he is. He he's a good man, and he was taken advantage of. Another young guy that was just he had it worse than most of us. But I told him like, hey man, I can't do this anymore. This doesn't represent what I believe, and I'm leaving. And I'm gonna tell the rest of the guys. And so from there, I drove back to the compound we were staying at. I called all the guys together, and I just look. I don't know how else to do it, man. I just gave it to them all, just straight up, and. I said, look, this is what's going on. Mike is being accused of emotionally, spiritually, psychologically abusing people. And I can't be a part of this anymore. And uh, that's that. And so from that moment, I quit. And I, yeah, I, I actually, I ended up staying at that place longer. Like I, I just stayed there just for those guys. Like I was no, and I made it clear to Mike and, my other higher-ups, I told them, uh, I'm not on staff. I'm just going to stay here if, if you'll let me for these guys. And, um, you know, that was that. Um, basically, yeah, uh, my turning point was I realized what this group stands for is not what I believe in, mm-hmm. you know, loving people, helping people. And so I, I couldn't do it anymore. And, yeah. Did you feel like it was a facade at that point? Like you, you were you were finally realizing that did you feel like it was never the way you thought it was from the beginning? Or did you feel like it, it turned that mm. way? Like do you feel like it had a, a, a genuine start with, with with him at the helm yeah. still, uh had a <laughs> genuine start and turned that way? Or do you feel like this guy had mm. started with a plan before he talked to anybody, built a basis, and then slowly started making his original intentions come to fruition? That's a great question, man. Um, and that's something I'm still trying to answer. Um, I'm still thinking through that, man. Uh, certainly, good things happened in that place. You know, some people were helped. You know what I mean? I would say they were helped in spite of him. <laughs> right, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were helped because of people like you that were within the organization. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to like no, yeah, glorify, yeah, yeah. you know, put you no, on the No, but there yeah. were solid people yeah. there that actually wanted to help people and they yeah. did. You know what I mean? They actually mm-hmm. did. Uh, I don't, I, look, I can't pretend I know what Mike's heart was in the beginning. Sure, okay. Um, it's hard to say, man, but certainly, without a doubt, it devolved in the end. And uh, this is actually something I was talking, you know, uh, last night with a couple guys. Uh, they said, yeah, it, it definitely devolved into this guy just using the organization, the ministry, for his own enrich- en- enrichment, his own glory. <laughs> and uh, that's what he was u- using it for. It's interesting because there is a certain celebrity to being a prominent pastor yes. you know like that is definitely celebrity within a certain group absolutely you know? yeah. we yeah. can see that with current politics right yeah. now i mean oh, go yeah. back same thing you go back to rome when it was the thing where it was like if you became you know if you became the leader of rome during a wartime it was a burden yeah you stood up and you took that burden for the team and then you look at current politics and people stay in politics because of what <laughs> it makes them into what it make the status they get to feel you know mm-hmm. money yeah money so power you, i wasn't going to bring the word up but you brought it up earlier do you, I mean, I guess towards the end of your time with them or now kind of looking back on it, do you feel like it was a cult? Mm, it's hard to say. Again, with, like I said, different people had different experiences. Mm-hmm. Some people went through it 
and probably didn't experience any of the real dark stuff. Negative, yeah. Mm-hmm. More other people experienced it to a very high degree. Mm-hmm. So it depends who you ask, but at the very least, it was cultish. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, definitely. Yeah, like I said. Trending that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude. Big time. For some people, it was a cult. Yeah. Uh, For other people, I don't know how to put it. At the very least, it was cultish. Maybe I can speak on that for a little bit. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, kind of some points on the cult side. Um, You were definitely dissuaded from being close with your family. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a big marker. Oh, that's a section time. I kind of want to get onto because that's something I've heard of as well. And like I said, like, I don't want to bring rumor in as much as I can't, but uh, no. I had heard that it was, that there was, without saying it straightforward, it was discouraged from you to have contact with outside people who had opinions that were not based yeah. in what you were living. That was discouraged. And again, uh, it depends on who you were. Of so, course. Mike was uh, good at manipulating, and uh, he knew my family was here. He knew what type of people my family were, and uh, so he he actually told me, like, hey, once a week, spend time with your family, but for the most part, he, in general, it was, uh, your family's opinion doesn't have much weight, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean, and and he would use, like... uh, scripture and stuff he would twist scripture to um to support that you know and um definitely in general people were dissuaded from listening to their parents listening to their family it was kind of expected of you to sacrifice your family to sacrifice your own uh desires in general for the greater good of the ministry um so yeah definitely yeah it's so interesting that that's such a common weapon that's used um, as far as like using scripture in a out of context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're somebody that, and I mean, I've talked about it plenty on this podcast. I'm no longer a religious person. Yeah. Um, I have spent a lot of hours behind a Bible, yeah. you know, and uh, it's, it's interesting that because there's so much con- like every all the context you need is right there <laughs> yeah. but you know what i mean yeah. but it's so easy for certain individuals to mm. cherry pick passages exactly and it's, and it's weird because when it's when it's being said to you it makes so much sense yeah you know oh, when, yeah. when they're when they're twisting it, it makes sense but if you go back it all it takes really you know is going back open that page and kind of what's the the context what's the context and yeah. you know yeah. That's the problem with it. The thing is, is a lot of people can't understand is everything is relative. Mm-hmm. And so if you are smart enough, you can pull things from that book mm-hmm. and, and like I said, change the context and, and make yeah. it seem as if it relates to this situation, mm-hmm. yeah. relates to your life, to, to, to your struggles. Yeah. And that, that was a big thing. You know, like I said, we were, for the most part, we were all very young mm-hmm. and naive and because of those two things, easy to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we didn't know about things like textual criticism and, you know, mm-hmm. historical context and things like that. And you and know, when you don't necessarily have a reason to think that you need to contradict what that person's exactly. saying, why would yeah. you look into it? He's in a place of authority. Mm-hmm. You know, he seems whatever, decent enough. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it, the Bible's a pre-modern book. You know, the, mm-hmm. the Bhagavad Gita is also like, 
a pre-modern book. They're not easy books to understand. Mm-hmm. And so much of it mm-hmm. is about how you, you know, interpret it exactly. and how other people have interpreted it. You got to learn how, yeah. what did the original authors mean? What's the historical context? What's going on? You know, even simple words, one word could mean, if it was written 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. could mean something totally different today. Oh, just from translation oh, to translation. I was going to say, like yeah. Aramaic to, you oh. know, going through different translations, is things are lost, meanings are lost. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a big thing right now where they're going through prior translations and realizing the word Satan was used for multiple different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Actually, that's a, for my own curiosity, what, what translation did you guys typically use? Uh, well, they like the New King James. Uh-huh. That's, uh, really? that's what I was expecting, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was asking. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pointed I, question. They <laughs> like the New King James. Which but, is crazy uh, because the way that the context that that book was created on, what King James was doing when he made that translation. Yeah. But it's overlooked. Well, so many people, mm-hmm. I think, look at that translation as a because it's got fancy words in it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it feels. Yeah. And I'm, I'm listen. I'm not, I'm not attacking anything. No, not, I'm just, don't worry about it. I think because like I, my the church that I was involved in, uh, uh, usually used the e. ESV. Yeah, the ESV okay. Bible. And so, like, that's a very tra- different translation because yeah, it's more modernized, yep, you know? Yep. But, like, I feel like some people feel like the the uh, King James Version has uh, more weight to it because of the yeah. these and the thes. And There's the, a know, lot like, of crazy like, ideas out there. And, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just something to you know I went I mean? through that, too, man. Yeah. For a while, I was yeah. like, KJV, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something. You get it, it feels more kind of organic to the time period or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. It is Mm -hmm. interesting. So what, um, when you, when you had that conversation with your guys, when you, when you let them know that you were leaving, do you remember what month that was in? July. It was in July. That's so, okay. So at the end of July, July 22nd, 2019, um, do you know Rob McCoy? I know who he is. I never met him. Never met him. So that's because I think they brought him in. So he made a statement at July 22nd, 2019, the same month that he left. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Potter's Field Executive Officer Rob McCoy said Monday, I came in to wind the ministry down. Yeah. We're closing our doors. We're shuttering Mudman. Everyone's going home. It's over. Yeah. What a statement. That's, I mean. So forward and so profound. There's a lot being yeah. said without saying anything at all. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, um, do you remember that statement coming out? I remember that. Yeah. That was like the week after I left. That was a week after I left. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, praise God, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, sadly, it didn't entirely work out that way. Um, from what I heard, uh, yeah, he came to kind of shut things down, slash he was going to change the ministry. So he was going to continue like the, the donations that were going to the kids out in different you know countries. That's what he said he was going to do. Um, but he was going to prevent Mike from being a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he asked Mike to step down from the board or whatever. But uh, from what I understand, from what I've heard, Mike, uh, I think at first he did. But then he was like, no, wait a second. I'm not I can't let this go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he held on. He held on to Potter's Field. And then Rob McCoy was like, well, if you're going to stay here, then I what am I doing here? I might as well leave. Right. And, and I, I uh, think that he was instrumental in, in trying to move those ministries over to someone else's hands, correct? He that, was trying to, yeah, yeah. He was trying to move... Trying that, to legitimize it. He was trying to le- legitimize that ministry. I think he was going to move it to, yeah, Calvary Chapel, which, yeah, would have been better. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Mike 
held on to it and uh that's why they continue to this day so to this day they're they are still operating they're still operating to a much smaller degree um do you keep tabs on any of that man it's uh i try not to but it's it's hard not to you sure it's a big part of your life it's a huge part of my life i mean and it and it ran to like the deepest parts of you you know what i mm-hmm. mean um and i just know so many people that were involved so inevitably i hear about it but um yeah they're still operating um i think a lot of the people that donate money don't really know the truth of the situation and that's why i'm that's why i'm here at the end of the day mm-hmm. i just want the truth to be out there i want people to know what they're contributing to um and uh yeah (laughs) yeah because it's that's kind of what it is at the end of the day like people are going to either support or not support and it's just important that the information is out there to allow you to kind of choose yourself right 100 Uh, that's something um like i said so i missed out on all that i wasn't living here when that happened when i came back after that year of going home and saving to move here I remember I was only here for a little while before it was quote unquote shut down. Uh, I've only seen Mike once. I've actually <laughs> seen him. Um, Cause I mean, you know, we're in my house right now. I live mm. right around the corner from the Columbia Falls, you know, section. Yeah. Um, I remember it being shut down for a while and then hearing these things. And then I remember seeing a banner put up for a reopening. Yeah. And then at that point um, is when I ran into uh which I've spoke about them before. Um, when I was building this truck, when my, my divorce happened, I had to make this truck run. There were days where I had to, I had to walk back and forth to the parts store because I didn't have another rig to get, keep my truck moving, right? So I would throw my son on my shoulders, throw a backpack on, and I remember going to the store and getting six U-joints and all that stuff, walking back and forth. And there was a day we had already started the podcast. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I was walking in front of Mudman to come back home and there were people outside protesting mm-hmm. and I walked up to them and I had Jack on my shoulders and I'm like, Hey guys. And they're like, Oh, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, what's going on? And I started asking them questions. And then I remember mentioning like, I'm from strange range podcast. Uh, you know, we have kind of talked about this for a second. I, I'd like to maybe have someone on here, which it didn't come to fruition, but, um, uh, I remember looking over and seeing him mowing the lawns by himself. Mike. Yeah. He yeah. was mowing the lawns. It's a show. Around it. Yeah. It's a show. Yeah. A show. Look, I'm, I'm putting it in too. Yeah. 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 And I had heard that it went from a not for, pro- was it a not for profit to a profit? For profit. Yeah. yeah. For profit. Um, when you saw that change happen, did you believe that he was just running the, the, the burger joint as a regular joint, a regular restaurant that made money? Or did you see him doing a manipulative thing to restart? I think that's the only way he could restart. Um, I don't think uh, there would have been too much heat if he had tried to restart as a ministry mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I spoke to him, actually. I gave him a phone call when I first heard that the Kalispell location was going to reopen. And um, I, I asked him to apologize, to apologize to everyone, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the first thing he asked me was, are you recording this? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? That's the first thing he asked me. That, that statement right there. Oh. That's telling. That, oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a man that knows what he's done. With oh. the gas between last time you had talked to him to then, I mean, like, that just, 
says volumes on what he'd been dealing with and yeah because of it he asked me are you recording this and then he was trying to gain my trust and things like that and i in my mind i was thinking well you clearly don't trust me if that's the first thing you're going to ask um all i wanted to do was well you know i i wanted to confront him and i i was hoping he'd be reasonable mm-hmm. and that he would apologize for what he's done that's yeah. it i didn't want any financial uh, you know, I didn't want him to pay me back. I didn't want him to pay anyone back, but just publicly make it right. Acknowledge the wrong you did. You know, mm-hmm. that would help so many people out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, this is in public. What he told us was, <laughs> uh, it's, it's so ridiculous, but in public he was like, God told me, uh, not to say anything about this. Yeah. What a cop out, dude. What a cop out. I confronted him about that. I was like, no, like this and this, and the Bible says if you harm someone to say it, you know, and apologize. Repentance. And, repentance, exactly. And he was like, and then when I confronted him on that, his true colors came out. And he said, oh, well, actually, my lawyer <laughs> oh my God. told me not to say anything. Because if I say something, if I apologize, that's an admittance to guilt. Yeah. And uh, so that's. Why, well, that's one reason why he hasn't apologized. He's also just not sorry. There's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Wait, uh, and frankly, I'd rather not have an apology from somebody that's just doing it for PR reasons. I mean, very true. Yeah. And then plus the fact that he had he had once again gone back to the scripture, but at the same time standing on a pillar that was so crumbled, and to oh, still man. try to do that when you could see holes through it and still yeah. holding on to that. Yeah. Yeah, and he uh, he continued to defend himself, and he had lied to me on the phone. I was like, hey, uh, did you apologize to this person or that person? Because, like I said, depending on who you were, you had different experiences. The people that were closest to him had the worst experiences, without a doubt, hands down. And uh, I was like, did you apologize to this guy, to that guy, who you totally screwed up their their lives, their minds? And uh, he said, yeah, I apologize, I apologize. And I called those guys and I asked them, I was like, hey, did he apologize? No, no, he didn't. It was just a bold-faced lie. Wow. Um, One guy, uh, I just want to throw this out there, one guy that was very close to Mike um, described his time there as, quote, mental torture, end quote. And... uh, I'd like to share one story about him. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he was... uh, So Mike had a habit of... of bringing people into his office and berating them uh, for hours, for hours. This is something I didn't know about until afterwards. Um, But eventually I learned that he would... he would just yell at people for hours and hours and uh, accuse them of different things. I guess he, uh, for some people, he had blackmail on them. I, I don't know what that looked like, you know. But, um, yeah, so he would just yell at people for hours and hours. And some guys, he would get to get on their knees and beg for uh, forgiveness from Mike. Um, Holy shit. It sounds like Ron Miscavige. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so this, this is something he did to a handful of guys. I ended up learning, but... Um, one guy that was in a higher up position, a young guy who, uh, had a rough background. Awesome dude, by the way. Um, 
in fact, actually, you guys would love him. Like when I think of you guys, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> he uh, he was done. Like he was emotionally, physically done. Like he couldn't continue doing this anymore. He the amount of responsibility. Going back to what I said earlier, a lot of people were given responsibilities they shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. They gave this guy so much responsibility, too much for him, too much for anyone. And uh, he was basically like, I'm done. You know, I, I can't physically do this anymore. You know, and he was asking Mike for help. He was like, I need help, man. And um, Mike brought him, his wife, other leadership into the office and just emotionally, verbally abused this guy and got his wife to side against him. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really dark stuff. He, he actually was intentionally saying things that would make his wife cry. Um, and, uh, to kind of create more and more of a barrier between him and his wife. And, uh, he ended up like kicking this young man out of the ministry sort of but like still kind of having a hold on to him like hey i'm kicking you out but um you know your wife's still part of this so that's like scientology shit bro that's i'm saying ron miscavige Miscavige did that to people Mm -hmm. i remember listening to some scientology stories and i was like wow like it's pretty there were some similarities you know it wasn't that extreme that level they got yeah. i mean that's a they've but, got way more money yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, more money more yeah. money yeah there's more. a have you watched that documentary by uh lira amini um, uh coming I, clean or i've seen her going clear though yeah the, going clear it's like a six or seven part documentary on something mm-hmm. yeah, interesting shit but that's yeah. that's reminiscent i i've seen her interview and there were similar uh qualities mm-hmm. you know it's a different degrees even uh i was listening to a podcast about uh jim jones mm-hmm. and the people's temple and i was like the whole time i was like wow like the feeling i got was that this could have ended up as that but thank god it stopped before that yeah i don't know if uh who knows what the future would have held but the same patterns were there you know what i mean mm-hmm. the same patterns just to lesser degrees and Anyway, so, yeah, that story is just um, one of many examples of how Mike would psychologically, emotionally abuse people and get, he would even get couples to um, be at odds with each other. Manipulate them against each other. That's incredible. Oh, man, I can't, yeah. I can't imagine. Because that's no. like your, that's your person that you're You're taking that you home and yeah. it's still happening when he's not there. Wow. Yeah, and so basically, like, this young man was like, you know, I can't be here anymore. This isn't for me. This is too much. And his wife was like, oh, but I still want to be here. And so he used that against them. He was like, oh, you want to leave? That me-. And he actually said this. He was like, that means you want to leave your wife. Wow. And so, and, and that's what we were all told. We were like, yeah. Or he was like, yeah, he's trying to leave his wife. That's all that this that's is. That's what was being relayed to you. That's what was really? being relayed to us. Instead of he was worn out. He was being abused. He couldn't do this anymore. And, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's one example of, of, of his emotional abuse. Is there, I mean, even after you've been so far removed and I think we're kind of wrapping up here, mm-hmm. but 
is there a part of you that still feels like you're kind of betraying something talking about this? Uh, no. Are you kind of past that at this point? Not at all. I'm, uh, I know what's true. And so you've had time to reflect on this, obviously at this point, it's been about three, about yeah, three years. It's been three years. Um, no, I have <laughs> zero ties with them. Uh, I, um, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing there, man. I, I, uh, I, I see right through him and, uh, I see through what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing no residual there. feelings there anymore. No, no. Yeah. I, um, in general, look, uh, in general, like, like I said, I'm, I'm a peacekeeper. I'm, I'm not for conflict. Yeah. I hate conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a time for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I'm at the point now where like, yeah, how do I put this? Um, I know, <laughs> look, he's not a good guy. <laughs> he's really damaged a lot of people. Uh, myself included, my wife included. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really restraining myself, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah, I, um, I, I, I tend towards the side of mercy and all those things, but, uh, sometimes you got to call out what's wrong for, you know, for what it is, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And this guy, this is the bottom line. I don't want other people to go through what I went through. I don't want other people to be lied to, manipulated and sucked in and, that's that's why I'm sharing this. Yeah. And um that's it. This guy is a wolf in sheep's clothing and he's lying to a lot of people still and a lot of people are believing him. And uh you know, I I would love to speak to anyone that has any questions or any doubts. I'm I'm available and uh, I just want to get the truth out there. So and and to a larger degree that's something for people to just kind of be aware of in general I would think you know um because this is this is an experience that you can apply <laughs> elsewhere very easily you know this is unfortunately not the only organizations operating this oh, way Oh yeah 100% no, no. by a long shot like and this. historically yeah. like it, it, it's a thing that has happened many many times That being said um you know since you put yourself out there that way and we're keeping you anonymous if yeah. for some reason you do want to reach out to our guest, yeah. um, you know, reach out through strange range and, and maybe we can get you in contact or, yeah. you know, if that, mm-hmm. if Just that's something uh, you're interested in, let me know who they are. Uh, oh, we'll vet that for sure. Yeah. yeah keep you protected. And, and yeah. Yeah. If they're yep. genuinely, uh, if they genuinely need help, I'm, I'm here a hundred percent for them. So is there, cause I see you got your notebook in your lap there. Is there anything that we haven't got a chance to touch on that's important to you? I want to make sure that you got everything out that you need to get out, you know? Yeah, no, I, I mean, there's a few things just, kind of all over the place Mm -hmm. just some general things I think it's important for people to know Mm -hmm. let's see Um, so yeah we were for the most part paid below minimum wage Um, Potter's Field or Mudman I don't know one or the other or both actually paid something close to Mm $150,000 because they were sued so that's an admission of guilt right there. Um, that's how I saw that too, yeah, to be honest with you. Um, I believe the figure was, I think it was 120,000. Yeah. I yeah. Think were, yeah. And somewhere the, in that. The ballpark. thing is like 
most people didn't sue mm-hmm. because they just wanted this behind them. Well, it's like it's yeah. this is reminiscent of uh, the Me Too movement. I mean, mm-hmm. this yeah. is very much like rape survivors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in such a way, I, mean, I know that that sounds weird, but no, like in such a, a way connection. that like you don't necessarily when you've been through a situation like that, you don't always maybe you feel a little embarrassed about being involved or yeah yeah you know what i mean there's there's definitely a lot of things that keeps people from speaking up after they've been through any kind of traumatic event and they uh, want to be behind them they don't yeah. want to relive this thing so obviously everybody that was involved wasn't wasn't suing because yeah. they don't want yeah. to have their name attached oh, to it exactly exactly and, and myself included like i could have sued but at that time when i thought that was an option i was um like I said, yeah, I wanted to get it behind me. Yeah, more important just not be involved. I had more important things, you know. I had to get my life uh, going, and yeah. Um, but anyway, so they did have to pay that. That's an admission of guilt. Um, they, uh, you know, I, I don't have a hundred percent proof on this, but it might be there somewhere that Mike was making uh, six figures. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure maybe, that's yeah. I can probably insane. look that up. Yeah, that's yeah. gotta be public. Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe public even his wife. So perhaps the both of them making six figures off of donations. Um, it's highly illegal. Oh yeah, and uh, there's like, uh, from what I understand, there's a percentage of the donations that they have to actually use for what the stated purpose is, right? Uh, from what it seems like, they use the bare minimum for that, you know. And uh, actually, uh, I'll speak from experience. Uh, when I was in Africa. Um, as far as I know, the only thing that Pottersfield Ministries paid for, apart from the properties over there, uh, I think, I think they had, uh, they own some property there. Um, apart from that, they paid for one meal a week, one meal a week for the kids over there, which any one of us could afford that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It's cheap. That's very cheap. Uh-huh. And it was not a one a day. No, no, no. <laughs> one a week. It was rice and beans. <laughs> really? Which is incredibly cheap. Oh, yeah. Um, and one shirt a year, if that. if that. One so, shirt a year. One t-shirt a year, which is advertisement. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it had their logos all over. And so uh-huh. uh, the amount that they claim to be giving to the children uh, for anybody that's uh, giving them money is much, much less than what they claim. Um, the majority of the money is spent on the infrastructure, which uh, just enriches uh, the founder. And, um, you know, yeah, so uh, we could have done much more in these countries uh, with the money that was being given. I think there was like a million or two million donated a year, something like that. Uh, wow. Most of us were being paid, again, like I said, under minimum wage. So... I'm not a big math guy. I'm not a big finance guy, but it doesn't take much to to see something's wrong. Math here. ain't right. Yeah, the guy's exactly. got a really nice house. I've I've seen it, <laughs> probably worth a million before the market went crazy. Um, he's got his own private uh, art studio. Uh, you know, he's he's living a good life. You God, know I've I've always had. That's been such a big like peeve to me. It's like I shouldn't. Just biblically speaking, Bro. I shouldn't see pastors in in houses that mm-hmm. extravagant. Like that's exactly. just it. Just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. It's, it biblically doesn't make any sense no. whatsoever. I mean, you can look back in the scripture, which they look base this on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Jesus spoke out against against the rich, against yeah. excess like that, and and to, yeah. to live that while speaking the opposite mm. is insane. Absolutely, and yeah, you know, um, I. 
Here's a story. Uh, again, I, I'm just getting all the, uh, yeah, go, go the ahead, leftovers man. out real mm-hmm. quick. Yeah. Um, there are stories I didn't experience this, but it, uh, I've heard that there were a handful of times where Mike would be uh, raging, you know, kind of yelling at the interns or whoever, and uh, he'd take a gun out. Whoa. Take a gun out. Uh, that's intimidation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what else? What else? Uh, and you can see that on uh, Phoenix Preacher. There's some of those stories out there. Um, and... That's just what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in, in step with his character. Uh, what else? Um, just honestly, the, uh, the lack of responsibility or like I was saying, people were being put in positions they shouldn't have been in. So when I was in Africa, um, in Uganda, um, the person in charge of me was actually younger than me, early 20s. And we, lit, we were staying in a village uh, where there were no adults. <laughs> we were all early 20s, late teens, in a third world country. That just, none of That's us had energy. There was no security set up for that? Well, we paid a Ugandan who, uh, hey, he was an awesome guy. I, I love that man. Uh, um, good guy, but... Like, it was just extremely irresponsible to place us But there. it was just one guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one guy that was in charge of us, really. Uh-huh. And he was younger than me at the time. He was like 20 or something, you know. In and he was probably acting as translator as well as facilitator. And he wasn't a translator. Of, no. No, he was born and raised in the States. Oh, okay. He had no really? business leading okay. a team of missionaries okay. in another country. Okay, like, wow. What, no, no. <laughs> what a task, man. Right. And this, wow. this was happening all over the place they were constantly sending out you know team leaders who were hardly in their 20s if that and uh, had no business leading any kind of team outside of this country they didn't speak the native language they had no experience in this kind of thing um another thing uh one guy actually almost died when he came back a good friend of mine um got malaria that's what i was gonna ask that was the first thing i thought of he got malaria and there was no protocol you know, they, they would kind of recommend, oh, bring some medicine back. When you come back, bring some malaria medication, whatever. And, uh, but there was no actual protocol. And uh, I was an RA at that time, so he was one of these guys under me. And he came back, and he was clearly sick. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, oh, no, it's okay. I'm fine. It's just a cold. And I was like, something's wrong. You know, so I took him to the ER. And uh, there, like I said, I... I took him to the ER out of my own, um, like, there, there were no rules saying you need to take him to the ER, you need to do something you about it. You did it because it was the right thing to do. Exactly. You felt it was, responsible. Yeah. It was my own discretion. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let's go to the ER. I wasn't trained about this or anything. <laughs> and uh, I took him there. At first, they were like, oh, you know, he's fine. Here's something. I don't know. Because in Montana, they don't... They don't <laughs> They don't know about malaria. At the best, doxycycline. (laughs) Yeah, if that, that. but there's actually only one doctor, uh, what is it called? Uh, Well, there's only one doctor in the whole state who was qualified to treat this infectious disease doctor at that time, Mm -hmm. and he happened to be in the valley. Um, But anyway, so we went back home, and he got worse, and and the next day, uh, he couldn't move. He was in bed. He couldn't even move, and... uh, so I took him to the hospital. And this guy, he was a big guy. He was like, he was trying to get into the NFL before. He was like a big dude, you know. And um, 
I couldn't I couldn't lift him up out of the bed and he wasn't responding to me. Oh so shit. I, I called 911. I was like, "Hey, bring in some big guys, you know, to lift this guy out of here." They got him out. Um took him to the ER and uh you know, thank God that he survived. They were able to find medication in a warehouse in Seattle. It was a CDC warehouse in Seattle. It was the only warehouse that had the right medication for what was going on with him. Wow. And, um, and so he survived. But honestly, I'm surprised that kind of thing didn't happen more often. There were no... I was never, as someone that was leading the interns, I was never shown or taught or trained, this is what you do in that situation. Like what you said, it was the bare minimum. Exactly. Um, so we were, yeah, it, it just, it, that, and I share all that to, to say like, they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, putting you in positions that they couldn't really get you out of if they had to. Exactly. That's yeah. Wow. So is there, is there anything else that, uh, you need, need to get out? Um, for the most part, that's it. Um, are you we, comfortable with how this has been laid out? I think so. Yeah. Might need have, to hear it back or something, but yeah, of course. Um, uh, one thing I'd like to say on behalf of somebody else was there. They shared that they always felt like nothing that they did was ever enough, and we were giving everything we had. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We were giving all our time. Like I said, it was twenty four seven. Like technically, we had a day off on Sundays, but even then, if Mike, you know, summoned you for something, you had to do it. Yeah. There were times when I was, uh, I had like a two-hour notice before uh, I was supposed to take a train ride to Portland to work a Mudman uh, food truck. You know what I mean? And it was expected. It was expected of you to drop everything, go over there. I took the train overnight and and went there. And because of how your schedule's kind of managed anyway, you're expected mm-hmm. just it's open. Exactly. You're, you're exactly. Good to go. And uh, anyway, um, just as far as my last words. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't say any of this to make them look bad. Uh, their actions do that. Um, and uh, I, I'm just trying to share the truth. And, um, yeah, again, at the end of the day, the reason I left was because what they were doing, what they stood for was not what I believed in. And, um, and yeah, and, and I just hope that nobody... Uh, Nobody else makes the same the same mistake. And one one big les- lesson that I learned is there's a lot of uh, yeah there there's bad people out there. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, I went in naive, but I came out and I learned a lot of lessons uh, um, that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. And so yeah, just be careful out there. Well, hey man, we appreciate it. That's a, I know that's a, a big thing for you to. To speak on and i hope it's a big weight off your shoulder finally getting to tell this all the way through and 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 hopefully let this go and, and mm-hmm. not carry this weight anymore yeah you know i think i think a part of it's going to stay with me for the rest of my life but this has definitely been a help you guys have definitely been uh you know i had been wondering what can i do who can i talk to and i've tried talking to people and there was really nobody seemed to really care and uh, so, yeah, just thank you guys for being there, for asking me to come here. And, um, yeah, appreciate it. Well, Absolutely. I just hope that, I mean, I think our, we've been talking about this a lot, you mm-hmm. know, leading up to this interview. And 
it, it was a big deal to us to just make sure that like, if we were going to tell this story, we told it from a place of integrity and honesty and mm-hmm. not, um, not just trying to roast something just for the sake of roasting yeah. it. I think this is a story that needed to be told, yeah. you know, and, and at least we're getting one facet of it from you, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of other, a lot of other experiences and, and stories that still need to be told and maybe mm. they, maybe they will and maybe they won't be. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we got at least this portion of it out to the public. And I think that's a, it's a big deal. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I appreciate it, man. So just to, uh, let's end this with, uh, with a different tone here. Mm-hmm. Usually I, I was trying to decide for like the oh. last half hour I was going to do yeah. this or not. We usually end with, uh, with recommendations. Yeah. Um, if you read any books or listen to an album lately or a Ooh, movie, anything you want to recommend to people to get, yeah, look those eyes open. Oh, up. Yeah, man, yeah. Too much, too much. Okay. Let me think for a second. Just, yeah, anything in general I've been yeah. enjoying. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you want other people to enjoy as well or look oh, into. Oh, man, man. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I guess one thing, I, I'm always taking in so much content, but um, I've really been enjoying something called The Symbolic World by uh, Jonathan Pajot. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, if anybody's interested, you know. Is it a book or? Oh, sorry, that's a podcast. Um, okay. Okay. It, it might not be for everybody, you know. I'll just put that out there. I'm looking it up. <laughs> I've been enjoying it. Um, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different, but other than that, uh, that's all I got, man. Uh, yeah, whatever you guys got. Right on. Yeah. So I just started a book. I think we'll probably talk about it. Uh, we've got we've got some plans, and again, I'm not sure in sequence where this is coming out. Yeah. But we've got some plans to talk uh, to get back into some more um, UFO and mm. alien type uh, stuff. You know, mm. um, there's a book I picked up recently. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it was written. It's called The Day After Roswell, written mm. by retired Colonel Philip J. Corso, who was uh, he pretty involved in in um, he like he was he kind of had control of like a lot of the files that were um uh, uh made declassified decla- yeah that, that are now declassified and they were classified at the time based oh, okay, on, okay. on the roswell crash and, and all that situation mm. um pretty interesting stuff though yeah the day after roswell by retired colonel philip j corso um we'll probably talk about that one more here in the next uh, week or two absolutely absolutely nice. i uh i haven't been on too much new stuff um did read the book of five rings which uh i thought was a really relative thing um if you're into martial arts check it out if you're not i mean just as a relative way to look at life i thought it was amazing um check it there's multiple versions of it look for the long version on audible it definitely broke down timelines translations uh but i highly enjoyed it anthony i've been wanting to read oh it's good i've been wanting to read it for a long time uh but uh, my buddy over here had uh had kind of coaxed me into actually pulling the trigger on that one. Um, I think I mentioned a couple episodes. I was going to start that one. Uh, music wise, um, I found a kid, uh, that I had not heard of before. My brother got me into him. Um, I'm not super into country, but I, I mean, Zach Bryan. Okay. You ever listen to him? Yeah. Zach Bryan is extremely young and his lyrics are very, very old and past his age. Um, I started getting into his music, uh, check out, um, condemned and heading South. Uh, amazing music um mm. the the stories that guy weaves like i said as, as a, such a young guy is far beyond his age really really good music um and uh and also jesse stewart mm-hmm. you listen to jesse stewart off and on for a long time like good I stuff dug deeper into that um if you learn about his background the life he lived the fact that he was uh almost a, pretty much a genius as a young child and pushed into music and and decided to to take off on his own and travel across back Do and forth across and trains instead <laughs> 
Well, that's not actually how that started. He, he, he was sober in the beginning um, and took his dog. Uh, he did two full trips across Canada by himself with his dog, got into music, ended up getting picked up by Trailer Park Boys, and they, uh, they produced some of his music. And then um, one of the big songs he came out with was, was Cold Beer, and that ended up being a persona for him, and he lived in that, and that led to more alcohol, more drugs, mm-hmm. and uh, amazing talent died in the streets of Edmonton. And you can look back at his music, and and if you find his albums on Spotify, they're they're not bad at all. But look at his YouTube videos of him just playing music in front of friends on his mandolin, and it's absolutely amazing. Right on, mm-hmm. hell yeah! I uh, sorry, I actually oh, go ahead. thought of a couple uh, recommendations. Okay, get after uh, it. As far as a book, I've been reading something. Uh, it's called Propaganda by Edward Bernays. He was, uh, I believe, the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Really? Really? <laughs> he was uh it's a very eye-opening book. You know, it's uh straight from the horse's mouth. He was um he helped to establish a lot of the propaganda uh that uh takes place today. And uh anyway, very eye-opening. Um Yeah, so that's the, interesting. Yeah, it's good <laughs> stuff. Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays. Cool. I'm Easy, down on that right short now. Short book. I think there's a free documentary on YouTube, but uh yeah propaganda and then as far as music artists uh if anybody likes like roots reggae uh oh yabby you yabby you okay y-a-b-b-y-y-o-u he was a contemporary of uh bob marley and a friend of his and um not as well known but personally i think he's great very cool right on man cool well, let's uh we'll go ahead and wrap up here yeah. um make sure as always that you're liking and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to so you can get notified the next time we drop an episode we are dropping new episodes every wednesday and we probably will have some uh stuff on the youtube in the next week or so absolutely so. Yeah, we're building up on that definitely yeah yeah so uh, thank you for listening. This is a, definitely a different different lane than we're normally in, mm-hmm. um, but it was uh, important to us that we got this one in the bag. Um, absolutely. So. Share. Share with everyone. Absolutely. Get, get this, this story out there. out there. Yeah, and let people know. Yep. Thanks for listening to Strange Range. Uh, and we'll, uh, you know, stay strange and stay true. You know, fucking speak your truth if you got something absolutely. to say. Absolutely. That's yep. the big takeaway from this one. We'll see you guys next week. Fuck yeah, boys. Yep. Then...